How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Hey guys, it's Thursday, not our usual Tuesday night. We appreciate you guys joining us. If you are watching live on Facebook, guys, do us a favor. Take just a minute. Share this out to your favorite Facebook cigar group. Share it out to your own Facebook page. And if you're watching on YouTube also, uh, do us a favor and do the same. Tonight's uh, tonight's a special night, special show. Uh, normally we go live on Tuesday nights, but... Uh, a couple nights ago, my oldest son graduated from high school, so that definitely takes precedence. Uh, so we moved the show that was scheduled for Tuesday night. That's going to happen next Tuesday night. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show. Uh, but definitely, you know, going uh, to spend that Tuesday night uh, a couple nights ago hanging out with my family for my son's graduation. Uh, you know, it's a COVID graduation. It's kind of weird. It's kind of strange, but it was it was a good time. We uh we all drove in and uh, and hung out and uh, watched all the students one by one, you know, walk up on the stage and get their diplomas. A small graduating class, only 40 students graduated. So that was a good thing. Um, so, guys, like I said, tonight is a special show. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And uh, when when it turns out that we had to reschedule the, the regular Tuesday night show, um, that along with the fact that there's there's some big – there's some big things going on in the world right now. I really saw it kind of as an opportunity uh, for us to um, do something a little different and, and, and hopefully, you know, get some things out there, you know, in conversation and, and talk about some things that maybe, you know, even back when, when Garrett and I first started all this, we, we first started doing the podcast and the show. One of the things that we talked about was we're never going to talk about, uh, the difficult stuff like politics and religion and social issues. And we're just going to talk about cigars. Well, that's out the window tonight. I'm sorry. You know, the, tonight, yes, how about that cigar is a cigar show? We're, are we going to talk a little bit about cigars tonight? You bet we will. But sometimes opportunities come up that are important and you don't want to let those, you don't want to let those opportunities go to waste. You want to, you want to turn that opportunity into something. And we really do have a chance tonight to we're not going to change the world on this podcast but we're gonna we're gonna you know just talk to each other and listen to each other and you know just you know get things out there because sometimes it's important to uh you know to do that and because we had a chance to we decided to jump at it absolutely it's important that we have a dialogue yeah it's important that we engage in the conversation no matter which side of that conversation you're on it is important to have the conversation. Yeah. We have to have it. Um, and it, yeah, like Matt said, when we started out, you know, wanted to avoid a lot of that stuff, but we can't avoid this. Yeah. We cannot sit back and avoid this. So, you know, normally, the, like I said, this is a, it's a, since it's a special episode, it's not a numbered episode. You know, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're grateful to all our sponsor partners, but this is, this is outside of the purview of the normal episodes so we're just going to talk tonight it's not it's not about all the other stuff so i'm not even going to wait anymore i'm just gonna i'm gonna bring them in one by one and i'm gonna start with uh mr leo brown leo we met a little while ago uh when we were actually we were on with you on uh on barrels and leaves so leo say hi to all the folks and uh give them a little bit of an idea of who you are and what you do what's going on america uh what's going on to the how about that cigar crew family. Uh, thank you guys, Matt and Gary, for having, having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Barrels and Leafs is all about cigar pairing experience. 
Uh, we want to make sure that people get what it is out of their cigar and their drink that they should. And uh, you can always find Barrels and Leafs on every single social media platform that there is. And uh, you can always catch us. Uh, I say us, I mean myself and Chris Moore. Um, you can catch us every Saturday at 11 p.m. Excuse me, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we do our shows uh, every Saturday, every week. All right. And so, sadly, you can't be smoking along with us tonight. But let everybody know what uh, what beverage you're, uh, you're you're pairing with nothing. Yeah, I can't smoke in a house, but I am going to pull out the old Johnny Walker, the Song of Ice. Uh, very easy to go down. Very simple. Uh, nice little touch on the back of the back of the palate to uh, give a little bit of spice. Uh, very buttery going down. So uh, I'll indulge uh, with you guys while you guys smoke. Nice. Nice. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to let Garrett bring on our next guest because uh, Garrett actually brought Scott to my attention and, um, you know, help me get get introduced to him. So, Garrett, why don't you bring him on? Yeah. So, uh, Scott Robinson, uh, obviously, we share the same last name, brothers from another mother. Right. On. And, uh, you know, Scott just reached out to me um, as a fellow contributor in the cigar media business and. Um, and it was just perfect timing that we had this. So, stop, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, introduce yourself and uh, let us know what you do and where people can find you. All right. Well, um, first of all, I want to thank you guys for letting me have the opportunity to come on to your show. Um, of course, I'm Scott Robinson. I'm one of the hosts of the um, Beyond the Humidor podcast. And we can be found on LumaCigarCartel.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. We have been at this podcast since last September, if I remember correctly, and a group of gentlemen and one lady and myself. We do a podcast every two weeks. Um, want to shout out to my um, fellow um, co-hosts and contributors, Louis Starr, Greg Perry, um, Sarah Bell, Bob Bowsma, and Larry Malott. We um started this podcast um, last year because we did an event over at the um, Cigar Aficionado Big Smoke in November of, I think it was 18. And we came up with this idea to form a group called the Luma Cigar Cartel. From there, it morphed into a podcast that we started slowly but surely building on. And we made this wonderful podcast. We're about 22 episodes in. Um, as of now, every other Monday, we are bringing shows out that we've recorded. Um, we've had some of our more notable guests, um, Donald Foyle, former Golden State Warrior, and former Globetrotter um, was on as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, Scott, what are you uh, drinking and smoking with us tonight? All right. I am smoking a Placentia. Um, in um, Robusto, Honduran Nicaraguan wrapper, um, origins out of Nicaraguan. So, you know, I am a sucker for the um, Nicaraguan cigars. One of my favorites, of course, is Illusion, but Placentia is no slouch either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice, deep, rich smoke. And along with that, um, wanted to drink some um, Shildag Single Malt 18 Year. I find that the notes of caramel in the um, scotch really um, associates well with the um, taste of the cigar. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I just want to say that uh, this is much more than Matt and Garrett bringing on, you know, a couple black guys to the show. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had uh, a different feeling about that, Garrett. Did you? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it is important that we have the conversation and the conversation should be salt and pepper. You know, um, it, it should include everybody. Um, cause, um, it's just, uh, from my perspective, it's been ignored too long. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in the weeds. It's important that we get to this stuff, but yeah. we got to, so Garrett, you are about to fire up. The, oh yeah. I'm going to fire up a, just a little Fuente Siglo. Yeah. Just a little Fuente Siglo. Nothing. No big deal. And, uh, this is in honor of George Floyd. And yeah. there's been a lot of information going around about Mr. Floyd's past. And I don't give a damn. I have a, I have a past. Do you have a past? I sure yeah, should I have, have a past. past. <laughs> um, uh, and guys, I'm firing up the soapbox from dissident cigars made at Fabrica Oveja Negra in Esteli, Nicaragua. There we go. Uh, by our friends, James Brown, Angela Brown and Benjamin Holt. Uh, so it's, uh, and I'm drinking a, uh, a bottle that I've been nursing for a few weeks now. One little dram at a time. The uh, uh, the Balvini Doublewood, Balvini Doublewood. I always say that wrong. Uh, but actually, it, 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 actually, it is Balvini. Balvini. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and it's 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 a it's a scotch that I recommend to a lot of people who don't like scotch. They say I'm not a scotch drinker. I say you have to try this scotch. And I have actually had a peop a, a couple people say, yeah, I I could drink this all the time because it's very approachable. It's extremely smooth, and it pairs nicely with a lot of cigars. You can you can even pair it with with milder cigars, and yeah. the flavor of the cigar still comes through because it's not one of those super uh, grassy, peaty scotches. It's right. smooth, it's sweet, uh, and it, I think it goes nicely with m most cigars. It does. It does. So, so guys, mm -hmm. it's um, you know, from a from a personal standpoint. Um, this is really kind of unusual for me because truth be told, I'm really not a socially minded person. I'm just not, I don't get, I've, I, I've never been socially involved or, or in any way, really. It's, um, uh, it's, I, I can't even really say why I just haven't. Um, but like I said, at the beginning of the show, when, when we had to reschedule the regular show for next week and we had the, we had a chance to do something. And then I saw what happened to George Floyd. I'll be honest, something changed. It, something changed that gave me an overwhelming desire to talk about what's going on in the world and not just what's going on in the world today, but what's been going on in the world for a long time. Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest, full disclosure. I, I thought to myself, we need to bring on some 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 black men or black women who have a perspective that I don't have, that Garrett doesn't have, that have a life experience that I don't have, that Garrett doesn't have. Yep. Uh, because it's, I think it's important to to get this out there and talk about what's going on. And this this situation, what happened to George Floyd, really hit me. Um, and and it it I'm not saying it affects me. Personally, because it's, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I have, you know, this this kind of sheltered life that I live in. And and this really kind of um, it, it really knocked me upside the head. 
honestly, and, and gave me a desire to just start having conversations about what's going on. And uh, I talked to Garrett about it, and he, he was all for it. So, uh, guys, we're, I'm so grateful to have you on the show just to, like I said, just to start talking about it. So um, for each of you guys, um, I mean, we'll, we're just going to start with, the, you know, with George Floyd and just talk about him and, you know, what, what, what went through you when you saw this happen. And if I can real quick interject yeah. before we get into to that piece. I want to say that if this starts to feel uncomfortable, that's good. It should be uncomfortable, especially for white people. It should be uncomfortable. We need to be there. We need to get to that place of uncomfortability. So if this show starts to make you uncomfortable, please don't go away. Live in that. To become comfortable with uncomfortable Mm. is almost unheard of. It doesn't register that well every day. So, you know, for, and I guess I'll, since I'm talking, I'll go ahead and go first. You know, for, for, for me as a black man, it, it's uncomfortable, you know, it's uncomfortable every day. Um, you know, I was telling a buddy of mine uh, that, you know, whenever I go and I get in a car and go down the street and he gets in a car, goes down the street because he's white. I said, who do you think feels more uncomfortable whenever that cop comes up? You know, it's going to be me because I don't know if today's going to be my last day or not, you know. And unfortunately, that's the same thing that happened to George Floyd. And, and you know, it, it's un, it's un, un, unfair uh, how it happened. Uh, I don't just blame the one cop, Jared, Derek Chauvin. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there were two other cops that were sitting on George Floyd. Uh, they had their knee in, in his back and essentially they were crushing his lungs, which didn't allow him to breathe. And, you know, he urinated on himself while he was there. You know, the, the fact that a grown man is calling for his dead mother, it's disheartening. That's the best way that I can put it um, without going too far, because, you know, I've done multiple lives about this over, over the course of the week. And I've talked about various things. I've, of course, I've stuck with the George Floyd uh, incident and I've gone into some black history. I've gone into the history leading up into this. And like I was telling you guys, is uh, it, this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. And to, to have this man taken away from his six-year-old daughter, I can't imagine if that was me. I don't know how you would feel if it were you just being, you know, uh, I, it, it's it's amazing that this incident is what it took to open the eyes of a lot of people. Um, and I'm hoping that it opened the eyes of a lot of people. We will see what happened, but I'm hoping that this opens up the eyes. Yeah, Scott, uh, talk to it a little bit. You know what? I want to start this off with a story because I think it associates with how I hope everybody feels, I don't care what color you are, but you should feel rage at what you saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've never talked about this, but when I was, mm, damn, when I was seven, went to an elementary school, Parmalee Avenue in South Central Los Angeles, part of where I grew up. And we did a beautiful thing every February. It's Black History Month. You know, you talk about kids as young as second graders, you know, 
writing speeches. I am somebody talking about our black heroes from W.E. Du Bois, Benjamin Banneker, um, and just numerous folks, um, sports heroes, um, Charles Drew, um, scientists, doctors. And it all culminated to um, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And it was a play. It was his life. But when he started at his church, when he gave that speech in Washington, D.C., up until he was on that balcony in Memphis, it was gunned down. And, you know, you heard that gunshot. He went down. And at the end of it, everybody would get up and lock arms and sing the song, We Shall Overcome. Mm -hmm. I was seven. And it brought tears to my eyes because you murdered our leader, our hero, and all you have to offer me is a damn song. I feel rage. And the question I have is what happens to that seven-year-old feeling that rage that he can make a fist? You know, and you've got to make a choice. And just because, you know, there's rage, but we got to do something better with that rage and we'll go, you know, we'll get into that. But I think sharing that story, when I saw that cop with that knee on his neck for no reason, he wasn't struggling. He wasn't fighting them. He wasn't resisting. He had a knee on his neck and a man's crying for his mama. I felt unadulterated rage and still felt like that little powerless seven-year-old not knowing what to do about it. So, Sorry about that, but no, no apologies no. needed. No sorries. <clears throat> I'm going to be right there with you, bro. Mm. So, um, I saw recently within the last couple of days, um, you know, because one of the things that that happens a lot when, and especially since the dawn of social media and social media is a blessing and a curse. I think we can all agree on that. Um, since the dawn of social media, you know, there's, there's been, uh, there's, there's always discussions that happen when, when events occur. And in the last couple of days I saw, um, I saw somebody, uh, post something about Black Lives Matter that it it encapsulated it in a way that I never it never dawned on me and it makes a lot of sense after I read it and then I even went so it's they 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 actually referenced the Bible and they referenced um, the parable of the sheep the the parable of the lost sheep so when Jesus is telling the parable of the lost sheep. It's the so and to 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 sort of set the stage for this. Pretty much every time the Bible references sheep, that's talking about human beings. Sheep are are pe people are sheep. Um, and when the when the shepherd is tending his flock, one out of a hundred sheep that one sheep gets lost and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. Mm -hmm. 
because the 99 are safe. The 99 are in the field where they're supposed to be. They're safe. They're fine. And people say, why would you leave 99 sheep just to go find one? Because I love him because he needs to be found because he's hurting because he's lost because he's separated from the flock because because he needs to be found that's why and that was the clearest most perfect um definition that that I had ever heard of when it when it comes to explaining why black lives matter is a movement because if you look at it in terms of human beings that that we're all sheep the it's it's the ones who are hurting that are that are separated from the flock and if we don't if we don't seek to care for them then what's the point and it really kind of hit me when i read that a couple days ago so you know, and Black Lives Matter isn't new, but Black Lives Matter wasn't born out of, of the murder of George Floyd. So what, um, you know, talk a little bit, and I'll, Leo, I'm going to start with you again. Talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter as a movement and what it means to you, what Black Lives Matter means to you and and where what what the movement needs and you know cuz you know every movement is made up of people and people make mistakes from time to time so you know black lives matter maybe hasn't always done everything perfectly neither have i neither is anybody so where is black lives matter making great strides and where do they need more help and where do they need to make better you know uh better use of the movement to get the word out and to get people's eyes opened. Well, let me say this. I I cannot speak for black lives matter. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it is a movement. You're exactly right. And one of the things about any kind of movement is there's some kind of leadership. Um, That's the first thing I look for. And, you know, we all have a duty to be a leader. And let me just say very, very quick and very early in this, Black Lives Matter is just a movement. Black Lives Matter has been since day one. There's a huge difference there. This is something that started. Okay, I give it that. But what needs to be understood is the past. It's been a movement. It's been a movement, just like Scott was talking about during the era of Dr. King. Black Lives Matter then. It's not like Black Lives didn't start to matter at some point. Black lives have always mattered to those who cared. Yeah. There's a huge difference in that. Black lives matter to those who cared. When I look at what's going on today with this that we're going through right now, I really don't know what to call it because I'm of the same nature as Scott. There's a lot of rage in me. There's a lot of history about me that people probably have never heard, which I will share. Uh, My grandmother was 
next door neighbors and friends with Rosa Parks. Mm. My father worked for his mother and father, my grandparents, uh, who owned a restaurant and a truck changing station, a truck station that watched the March on Selma go right by. There's some other history behind where I come from, but I will not go into that uh, because it does start to bother me. Um, but what people need to understand is that there's been a very, very large movement of Black Lives Matter well beyond the era of 2000. This dates back to the first slave that was captured and put on a boat. That's how far this actually goes back. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to say, well, okay, yeah, I can go back that far because I have a lot of friends right now. They're saying, well, wow, I didn't know that it was going on like that. or I didn't know that this was happening like that. Listen, man, you either got to open your eyes or just admit and be humbled about the ignorance that you have. I've done a lot of black history research. My father instilled in me that I should. And like Scott, you know, I was a part of a, I guess you can call one of the, uh, the high school, um, uh, uh, God, I forgot my train of thought, uh, the governing body for the high school class. Uh, I was the vice president at the time. And there was supposed to be a, uh, Black History Month during the month of February. And this was my first time to ever stand up for what I believed in. They decided that they wanted to have Multicultural Month in February. I quit. No more vice president for me. I don't care. Because if you're not going to stick to what this means then I don't have a voice anymore. That's when the lives start to matter because we have always stood for what we believed in. You know, we can sit here and talk about equal rights all day, but we know that that's not true. We can go to incident that just happened a couple of weeks ago. We can go to an incident that just happened a couple of days ago. There was a, it was a black man uh, in New, and sorry, St. Louis, 77 years old. He got gunned down by some guys that were still on a TV because he was there trying to tell them, no, 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 don't do this. This isn't going to help. You know, a lot of people ask, well, where, 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 where should it start? <laughs> well, it should start within you. Mm. That's where it should start. It should start within you. You know, there's something that's going around now, which is amazing, where people say, if you see something, say something. Well, hell, what happened hundreds of years ago? Nobody said anything. But now it's time to say something. I agree. Something should be said now. But we have to understand our past to understand where we're going to our future. And what we need to say is what actually happened in the past. We need to say it. We need to see it. We need to bring it up. We need to talk about it every day because I got to talk to my kids and explain to them is that, hey, I got two girls. 
you're a black girl. You got to look out because don't forget, there are black women that just got shot, killed by police currently within the last couple of months. So, yes, do I fear for my daughter's life as well? Absolutely. hundred percent. Do I have to think about my wife's life? Absolutely. hundred percent. These are the things that whenever you whenever I hear the words Black Lives Matter, it's a movement, but it's something that should be in our heads every single day. But we don't think about that. I want to uh, also feel that uh, it's important to uh, field some of the questions that are being brought up here. And um, we got a, a question from Scott Holtman, who asks, can you answer why black lives don't seem to matter within the black community until they are taken by law enforcement? See, that's a lie, Scott. That's a lie. I just told you an exact story about me. Every day I get into the car, I have to think about it. I have to think about the next black man that, that sits next to me, the next black woman that's sitting next to me. It's not that it's not thought about. It's thought about every day. But we have been living this for years. We live this every day, Scott. So see, what happens is that when we say it all the time, we bring it up all the time, it just becomes white noise. Mm -hmm. But whenever we go out and protest, now it's not white noise. Now it's, uh uh-oh, Something's wrong. We better listen. Scott, I respect your question. I promise you I do 100%. But this is something that we have to live with every day. So it's almost like it's just something we wake up to every day. We don't have to make mention of it every day (laughs) because it just happens to us every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, So, Scott, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts as far as – um, you know, expand on what Leo was saying and, 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 and add your own thoughts to it when it relates to Black Lives Matter. You know, I fight with myself on that one. And I'm going to preface this with this because I want to make this perfectly clear. I don't agree with all of Black Lives Matter's methods. I believe in it in spirit. I think it can be done a little better um, without as much disruption. But I believe in the movement. You know, because I'm a black man. I've spent 51, 51 years on this earth as a black man, so I'm not tone deaf to it. I was born from a teenage mother and father. I worked my ass off to get to where I got to. And, but I recognize, you know, there's people I left behind, um, you know, who w- went through it and all the shit that's going on every day. I'm not tone deaf to it. But I want to make it clear I can not support, you know, I don't support, like I say, I support the movement in spirit. I, I believe in peaceful protest. I believe in loud protest. But when it starts interrupting with the rights of other people, that's when it starts to bother me. That's when I got to take a, take a step back and say, whoa, now your mileage may vary. I support what they're trying to do, though. You know, so don't don't get confused and think I'm sitting here and going to slam Black Lives Matter. I'm not going to do that. Because I understand where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, um, you know, it's, it's just like 
just like anything else, when I brought that question up, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to paint Black Lives Matter in any kind of way. I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, saying that any movement is going to be made up of people and sometimes mistakes are going to be made regardless of what the movement is, who runs it. You know, it's, if it's, if it's run by people, mistakes are going to be made, uh, along the way. And, 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 and I get that. And, and here's another thing that, and this kind of goes, jumps ahead a little bit on some of the stuff I had written down just to talk to you guys about, but you know, some of it comes down. So, so Scott, you were talking about the, you know, the protests. Uh, so, so Scott, you're going to go first on this one. Okay. Talk to us about, you know, in your minds, you know, that the, there's, when it comes to protesting, um, you know, um, so I had it kind of broken down into three words uh, or three terms, protests and then civil unrest and then riots. So, so where, you know, how do we, how do we deal with, with that as far as, because I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. I think, I think protesting is, is our God given right. And I think even to a certain extent, I think civil unrest is, is uh, important. But so where do you, where do you see all those different aspects of, of speaking out and taking, taking action as, as a, as a, as a group? You know, when you broke it out in three stages, I only see two civil arrest, civil unrest is just a nice word for riot. When you're busted up other people's property um, because you feel that you've been wrong. And I talked about that rage earlier. And when I want to get to what I did with that rage at seven years old, I looked at all those people, all those black men and women who came before me, Dr. King, who came before me. And to honor their memories, I worked my ass off. I went to school. I learned about them. I learned about science. I learned about all this stuff so that I could have an education and go out and be a productive member of society. And that's what I did with that rage, you know, because we can be mad, but, you know, burning it down is not going to work. You know, I had family. I lived in Orange County in 92, you know, neighbor in L.A. County during the riots when they broke out and everyone was burning it down when LAPD pulled back and let Los Angeles burn. And they showed the looters on TV grabbing all they could get. And that wasn't everybody. That, that was just a number of folks who took the opportunity to get up on the come up or they were angry and felt justified. But see, my question is, after all the looting and civil unrest is done, then what? That store you robbed, is it going to come back? All that infrastructure, is that going to come back? Or are they going to say, no, nah, I can't rebuild here. Because what happens with the next one or the next one after that? Or the insurers don't want to insure you. And let's even just talk about the small businesses. There was a man who lived in Compton. He had um, Golden Bird chicken franchises. And, you know, folks were putting up signs saying black owned. And some people didn't care. They burned his business down. He's standing there like, what? I'm black owned. How are you going to come in here and burn my shit down? You know, it's. Rage is unfocused, misdirected. Um, it doesn't work. You know, and in the end, what happens to um, the black community is it makes it easier for it to be gentrified. The value of the property goes down. People come in, buy it for cheap. They gentrify it and they price people out. 
Yeah. So I, I have real issues with that. You know, like I said, protest is fine. The old saying, your rights in where mine begin. Right. You know, and, you know, that's how I feel about it. And I don't know how other people feel about it. You know, I could be accused of being a coon and a sellout, whatever. But that's what I feel. Mm-hmm. But I'm not tone deaf to the anger and the rage. Far from it. I was angry, too. I was angry when Oscar Grant got shot. You know, when I was a kid, when I lived out in Compton, I saw L.A. County Sheriff beat up a dope fiend. We all stand around and watch. There was nothing we could do about it. Six officers with their sticks beating the shit out of this junkie who couldn't do nothing. He's skinny and emaciated, and they just beating the shit out of him. And we just had to sit there and watch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's my... So, you know, well, and that brings me to uh, another good segue um, and then one more comment. And I want to I want to touch on a couple other comments that are being made here. But how about the, you know, the, the image of the, the angry black man or the angry black woman? They're just that, you know, the the token, you know, the, you know, angry, you know, just that angry black man image. And, um, you know, white people don't want to hear, listen to that, that angry black man. Um, well, I got to tell you something. I'm angry right now. And I think it's, it's about time for but, anger. But Garrett, you're not black. Why are you angry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Benjamin Franklin said it best when he said, justice won't be served until the unaffected are as angry as the affected. And that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. So I'm angry. What, what, what do we do with that? Um, what do we do with that image of, of anger as being this negative connotation for the rest of the world? That that's a really good question, man. Um, the way to not be the way to use the anger is to help. Uh, well, not help us, but I'm talking in general as human beings, as humanity. We have to be more educated. We actually have to want to be more educated. That's where it starts. You know, I, I listened to what Drew Brees said, you know. Oh. And then all of a sudden, here we are retracting the statement. You know, unfortunately, that's just the way that the man feels. He just wasn't educated enough, isn't educated enough, because you don't have to wor- worry about waking up with how is my day going to go today? You know, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, there. There's I hope you guys don't mind. I'm, I'm looking at it online, too. I got a. There's a question mm-hmm. out here. Or a statement uh, says that uh, everybody's angry because life is tough when you're young, undisciplined and misguided by the media. Well, to your point, uh, Mr. Aaron Berg, you're partially right. When you allow the media to be your source, Mm. that's all that you will listen to. Again, when I go and do my research on black history in general, it's not just Dr. King. It's not just 
Malcolm X. There's a almost went off a little bit. There's a whole lot of people that are in between and outside of those people who have done something for the black community that a lot of people do not know about. You know, everybody, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people say, well, how can I help? Well, let me give you a little bit of piece of advice. Go back and do some history. Go back and read a little bit more. Because you're going to have to go way back, a little bit further than what Scott and I are going to have to do. Because we grew up with it every day. We were told how to talk to the police. We were told how whenever we get pulled over what to say to the police. Sometime it worked. Sometime it didn't. Give you guys a prime example. Scott had a story. Dang it, I got to give a story too, Scott. (laughs) 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 So I'm in Atlanta. You know, they, they call it one of the black meccas of the world, right? I'm in Atlanta. Me and a wife were in the car. We're just rolling down the street. This is an honest guy story. People don't believe it. I get pulled over by a white female cop. For what reason? I don't know. At the time, in the military, I'm a military cop. I've always carried my badge during that time and things of that nature. So she pulls me over, asks for license registration. No problem. Can I ask you what you're pulling me over for? I can't see your tags. So at the time, I had a license plate cover. Fairly, fairly fair in color. You can see every single letter and number that was inside of that license plate cover. And I asked her, I said, are you serious? This is the reason that you pulled me over. By the time I asked her that, there were two more cops that came around. She ran everything. Everything came back fine. She said, okay, you can have a great day. I said, I can't have a great day because you just pulled me over pretty much for no reason. Can you give me a second? She said, sure. Lo and behold, I had a screwdriver inside of my car. I took that damn license plate cover off and threw it. I was ready to take the the pollution fine. I was ready for it, the loitering fine, but I didn't get that. So these are some of the things that actually happen, which something is very simple. You know, that's something that can be contributed to what some people are uncomfortable with saying, but that's driving while black. Mm -hmm. That's all that that was. When, when you guys were asking, you know, is there a difference between riot, civil unrest, and protests? You know, protests have gotten black people a lot further than any kind of riot. The riots in 1992 with Rodney King, those were riots. That was also civil unrest, in my personal opinion. But that also was encompassed by a lot of people who were just tired, who were pissed. Because you have to remember, this was 28 years ago. It was still happening before then. Mm-hmm. Because we go back to the 60s and the 50s and we can talk about Emmett Till. There are pockets is what my personal concern is. There are pockets. Because if we have to go... Now into this, okay, everybody wants to, everybody wants to help, for lack of better words. Everybody wants to be a part of. Is it going to be another 28 years and then that band-aid comes off again? That's my concern. That's where 
whenever you say, how can I help? Let's continue this progress that we feel right now, each and every single day. You feel it now. I get it. But what's going to happen three weeks from now? What's going to happen three months from now? What's going to happen three years from now? Where are we going to be? You know, everybody gets into their comfort bowl. Everybody does. Everybody mm-hmm. does. Like you started off the show. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. There you go. When you can show. And I'm, I'm saying this out loud. When you can show black folks that you're really uncomfortable. And you're OK with it. You'll get a little bit more support, but it has to be continued. It can't just be for a certain period of time because you got to understand, we do this every single day that we wake up and go to sleep. How uncomfortable do you really want to be? How much does it really mean to you? You know, every time I end a show, I always end it with, I love you all. Mm. And that's because it's true. I love you all. Because I love human beings. Mm hmm. I love you all. I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian, Arab. I don't care. Because when it comes down to it, I served 22 years in this United States Navy. And I gave it up for everybody. Everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me to do another 22, I might. (laughs) (laughs) With where we are today, I don't know. I might. I don't know. When we thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you for serving our country for so no, long. No, no, no problem. I mean that to the bottom of my heart. I, like I say, I love everyone, and I mean that. You know, and when you know, you, you, all of us, we sat here and talked. Matt, Garrett, I called you guys brother. You know, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah, I hope that doesn't make you uncomfortable. If it does, oh well, I just won't be on the show next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I call you brother right back. Because I, I truly feel that, yeah, uh, Scott. I want um, wondering if you would uh, uh, respond to Rev on uh, YouTube, who's asking, "What does equality look like? How do we achieve fair and equitable treatment for all?" Okay, this is funny because um, Rev is my boy Lewis, and he is uh, one of the hosts on Beyond the Humidor. <laughs> so, <laughs> how you doing there, Lou? Well. And that's hard because, well, yeah. actually, it's not hard. Let me let me wind that back for a second. The way I live my life, and I can only live my life. I can't do it for every, anyone else. But if you're in doubt, you default to the golden rule. You treat people how you want to be treated. It's very simple. You know, it's simple, but it's complicated. You know, get beyond yourself and treat someone the way you want to be treated. And that goes for everybody. You know, my interactions with the police and, you know, I'm saying this because I don't want to sit here and be disingenuous and try to tell you that, you know, I constantly get hassled by the police because I don't. For every negative um, instance I've had with the police, I can name about four or five that have been pretty positive. I'm in an interracial marriage and my wife laughs at me because, you know, we talk about, you know, getting pulled over by the cops. And she looked at me and said, I got more tickets than you getting pulled over. And I'm white. How does that happen? 
You know, I'll get these, you know, I'll do a rolling stop in the middle, you know, it's like three in the morning, get pulled over by the cops. He comes out, we start talking, and he's like, Oh, okay, well, you know, I hang out by here like every day, so don't roll through that stop sign and you take care. And I'm sitting there driving going like this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this happened to me um in town like about two years ago. I knew I did wrong, did an illegal U-turn. And I thought I got away with it until I saw them flashing blue light, blue and red lights. Pulling my stuff over, he pulls over. Cop comes out the car, see him in the rearview mirror, and he's kitted up, man. He's got his vest, his radio, his gun, all that, and he comes strolling up. And I know the first thing he's gonna say is license and registration. He looked at me and said, "Hi, I'm Sergeant Steve, whatever from the Roseville Police Department. Do you know why I pulled you over today?" Like he's a concierge, and I'm sitting here confused, going. Oh, yeah, I know. I, you know, yeah, I did that U turn. And he starts educating me, like, well, you know, there's a school over there. And that's why we don't like people doing that U turn. So, you know, just don't do that next time. But, you know, I usually hang out here, same thing, and you have a good day. But then I had an instance where um, back in 94, I was in Signal Hill down in Southern California. And I worked for a um, medical distributor of artificial hips and artificial knees. And I usually went to hospitals to deliver these, and they had um, surgical parts all throughout town in these industrial parks. Was that Stryker? Um, no, it was called Code Blue. Okay, yeah. So it was just basically a courier service. So I'm driving through this industrial park, you know, late, late at night, you know, only car on the road, get pulled over by the cops. And they asked me for a license of registration. I give it to them. About three minutes later, and this two of them say, get out of the car, please. And I'm thinking, well, is there a problem? Just get out of the car. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fight it. No sooner I opened the door, I got grabbed by my neck, thrown against my car, thrown against the ground. I start struggling because I know I didn't do anything. I stopped struggling when I felt the gun pressed against the back of my head. You know, so again, I'm not tone deaf to how it happens, but I'm not going to be disingenuous and say it happens to me all the time. I've had more positive interaction with uh, police officers than bad. You know, I know that may not be the case for everybody. So I have to be aware and cognizant of that. And I can't just say that my experience is everyone else's experiences. I won't do that. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit um, and, and have you guys give your thoughts on, um, you know, the, the word racism, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful word. It's a hot button word, but I want, I want you guys to each talk about the word in sort of it's it, at least what I kind of wrote it down as is for, for this conversation is sort of it's, uh, different forms. So there's, there's individual ignorance and then there's, there's, uh, institutional um, uh, institutional discrimination uh, and and everybody can feel how they want to feel about it but I want you guys to articulate your own thoughts on those two forms you know the individual ignorance versus the institutional discrimination you would uh, I'll start this off Um I think we all have prejudices. I don't care who you are. Everyone has prejudices, and a lot of it is from ignorance. 
institutional racism. The best example I can give is the disastrous war on drugs initiated by President Nixon back in the 70s and how we how drug crimes were prosecuted. No matter of, let's just take cocaine and crack. You know, certain amount of cocaine would get you this many years. The same amount of crack would get you even more. And why is that? You know, you've got to ask these questions. And it's good for an argument. You know, if you don't agree with it, these are the things we've got to talk about. You know, we're not going to just keep silent about it. You know, nothing's going to get done. It's an argument. I don't expect you to agree with me, but tell me why you disagree. Um, why that is. I mean, we can say that's rooted in institutional racism. You know, the prosecution of, you know, a certain color suspect who do the same, who does the same crime. We know that happens, but we're not supposed to talk about it because if we start talking about it again, we start getting to uncomfortable. I say, hey, it's an argument. Let's sit back and talk about it. One of the reasons I love smoking cigars is you get all sorts of cats from all walks of life. And you can talk about virtually anything. You know, you can crack jokes. You can talk about the state of the world to what you ate or what your you know best barbecue recipe is. But when we start getting into the deep stuff as we sit back and smoke and chop it up and whatnot, we can get into these conversations because everybody's relaxed. And if you're with a group of friends, like I have a group of friends I smoke with, we can be painfully honest. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. We all have to be painfully honest with how we feel because a lot of people have had to suppress that. I know Leo was talking about, you know, dealing with that rage every day. I have that rage in me. People don't see it because, you know, people say, oh, man, because I'm six foot five and about 270 pounds. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm big and intimidating until you talk to me. It's like, oh, my God, you're a big, giant teddy bear. You know, I don't walk with that rage all the time, but it's there. It's in the back of my mind. I just choose not to live in it or be afraid or, you know, where I know people get up and say, well, is this going to be my time when the cops pull me over? I'm not trying to be better than anybody when I say it, but I don't worry about it. I can't worry about it because I won't live my life in fear. I'm trying to live my best life. I'm in the last third of my life. I can't worry about it. I just won't worry about it. When the time comes, the time comes. Scott, you're not in the last third of your life, man. You st- you st- you're only at halftime, okay? You still got to be in that last third, brother. Don't worry about it. Man, like, the way I smoke and drink and I drive, I ride a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I got to four weeks ago. Cigars, put, cigars bring our blood pressure down. So I know that we're fine. We're okay. Don't <laughs> worry about that. But you know what? I mean, to, to also go, go along with what Scott was saying is that, you know, individual – versus institutionalized, you know, here's, like I told you guys a little bit earlier, you know, here, here's some here's some stats, here's some numbers, right? Trayvon Martin, 2012. Eric Garner, 2014. Breonna Taylor, March of this year. Um, Ahmaud Arbery, February of this year. George Floyd, May this year. Tony McDade, May this year. David Dorn, June, June, just as a recent, last week, this this year. These numbers are there. These are all unarmed black men or women, all of them. Institutions? Sure, because it involves police departments. Individual? It's what you do on the outside, what you actually do within the four walls of your own home. That's where it changes. 
that's where it becomes real. You know, a lot of people feel comfortable in those four walls, right? That comfort. But are you uncomfortable with going to that computer, telling your kid, hey, come over here and sit down with me. And let's go over this. Let's look at how many black men and women died in 2019 unarmed by the police. Let's do that. How comfortable are you with doing that? That's where it kind of starts. That's that individual institution in a sense. Because we can't legislate that. Huh? We can't legislate that. No, you can't. How, how, How could you? Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> There's no way because but- because freedom freedom is is uh, and I'm talking about constitutional freedom freedom is messy freedom is dirty freedom is ugly it is and you're you're free to be an asshole mm-hmm. you're free to as uh, until until you're and and Scott mentioned this earlier when talking about protests versus riots your freedoms and where when you start taking somebody else's away and the fact is i may not like something that somebody else says i may hate what somebody else says i may hate somebody's bumper sticker i may hate somebody's t-shirt i may hate somebody spouting off at the mouth about this and that they're allowed to say it i hate it but they're allowed to say it well You you know this this that that's one word like some other words that i try to practice not to say whenever i say i hate something it's mm-hmm. very, very strong. Yeah, it is. It lives within you. That resonates in you, and it comes out of you at some point. I don't hate things. I may dislike it. It may cause me a little bit of discomfort. It may cause some discussion. That's what it does. Because I have to respect that freedom that you have. You know, there's a comedian, uh, Eddie Griffin. He said one of the classic things I've ever heard in my life. We all have freedom. But for black men, if you think that you're free, you must be dumb. That's why they call it free dumb. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, whenever you examine that, that becomes kind of true. I don't have the same rights as you, Matt, and you, Garrett. It says that I have the same rights. But we all know that I really don't. Because we see it all the time on TV, you know? I mean, there was a there was a statement made by uh, one of your one of your guys that's looking. He said the fact of the matter is that George Floyd, George Floyd's murder wasn't race related. I agree with that. That's something maybe we want to get into. We can I can agree with that. Said he was high on meth and fentanyl. He was resisting arrest. This was not white versus black. This was a three to four time violent convicted felon being detained in a felony detained manner. That was unjust, not because of his skin color. Now, see, when we sit here and we talk about, you know, we want to bring something. You you guys wanted to bring a different kind of show. okay? and I respect you. I thank you guys. I told you I'm very humbled for even you having me on. But this is the kind of mentality that's still going to be out there. Whenever I tell people racism will always exist. This is what I'm talking about. I'm not calling this man a racist, but it's the mentality that's there. How do you get rid of that? I don't see him sitting down with his daughter, his son, and saying, hey, let's examine what happened to all these black people over all these years. That's where it 
it's going to run into a wall. That's where you guys wanting to make a difference in America, in the black community, that's where you guys are going to run into a wall. Now, my question would be, how are you going to deal with that? We've been dealing with it for hundreds of years. You know, I'd even reply to him. I said, I understand, brother. I love you. Mm-hmm. I don't hate the man. I can dislike his comment all day. However, the educational piece is where we as human beings get lost. Like someone said, I'll watch the media. Well, the media is, is swaying how we think. We can't do that. Right. What's the saying? Believe half of what you see, none of what you hear. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we live by that? Do we understand that? No, we do not. No, because we got Facebook. We got Instagram. We got YouTube. We're watching all this stuff. But how much of it is actually real? Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, whenever somebody goes live, obviously that's that's 100% in the moment. Mm-hmm. Got it. Check. But there's a lot of stuff that gets skewed out there as well. Yep. I want to touch mm-hmm. on that real quick. You know, yeah, well, yes. the thing that happened to us as a society is the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. Mm. You know, there yeah. used to be a time, and I can remember it, when there were probably at 5, you saw the news at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 11 o'clock. And then maybe in the morning at 6 or something. And that was about it. But when we started going to, you know, CNN, you know, give you the whole world in 30 minutes, and then you had sponsors, and next thing you know, you had cable channels all over. You know, if you don't like CNN's view, you can go on Fox. If you don't like Fox's view, you can go on MSNBC. Um, so, you know, you can shape your reality depending on what you watch. And I'm not talking, you know, crap about any one particular, but, you know, it's not even news anymore. You know, that's, it's that's like right. telling you, you know, news is, you know, blue car hit a dog. That's all it is. Nowadays, it's like, well, you know, you know, the problem is with blue cars, it does this and that. And I think this, and it's like, you, you know, you don't get any information anymore. You got to sit there and cherry pick the news and try to figure it out. You got to do your own research and see what's what. You know, you've got people meddling, you know, um, with Facebook. And you see it on Facebook, too. You know, people will sit there and just because they heard something, they say, I don't know, something outlandish. They read something outlandish. Then they share with everybody and perpetrate all that. It's like when I see shit like that, I got to go to Snopes or somebody else to say, no, 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 that didn't happen. And then you got to go to them and say, come on, man, before you start spouting out something crazy like that, you know, I just remember the whole um, Bible debacle with um, the president. You know, they had this meme of Hitler holding the book and Trump holding the book. And we don't need to get into whether, you know, you like or you dislike Trump. I have my feelings about it and everyone has their feelings about it. But it wasn't true. It was like, no, that was a Photoshop picture. But people are sitting there taking out gospel as gospel say, see, 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 see what that is, you know, and we're just mm-hmm. all misinformed. That's part of the problem. Not to mention the internet gives breed to a bunch of punks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, YouTube, you know, you get like a little kid playing on a, you know, playing an instrument and not playing it well, but showing it on YouTube. And you know, there's going to be somebody to talk crap about them say, ah, oh, you suck. Give it up. Blah, this, you know, and on the other end, you'll see people say, hey, go on with it, you know, do what you need to do. And then people feel brave typing on a keyboard to tell you what you think, you know, tell, you know, tell you, you know, tell everybody what they think. But there's nothing they would say to someone's face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And we have a whole generation. Now, my buddy, who's also on the show on Beyond the Humanoid, Larry, I love him. He said, as I've said, this generation does not have the benefit of being punched in the face at a very early age for something they said. Yeah, you know, They feel comfortable typing behind a keyboard, not being told no, but they wouldn't dare say that to someone's face. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? Well, that's something, it's something interesting that we had, uh, we had Skip Martin from Roma Craft Cigars on the show last year sometime, and we were talking about this as far as the whole keyboard warrior thing and, and all this, and one of the things that we discussed was, and I think that's actually, it actually makes it important for, for, you know, what was deemed essential businesses during, you know, COVID-19. And I, I get all the precautions. I understand it, but there's something about sitting around in, in a cigar shop with a bunch of people who all think different things and have different backgrounds, different beliefs, different philosophies about life, that kind of thing. Because when you're actually sitting around the, the chairs at a cigar shop talking about these things, that you, you actually have, have, uh, you actually care about the words that are coming out and you actually put thought into it and, Mm -hmm. and you, you put care into what you're saying because, and then you get behind a keyboard and you get 5,000 miles away from somebody who you have no chance of ever running into. You get bold fast. And you yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden your balls get like five times bigger and, and you're like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm going to say this thing that you know that you're going to, you're going to type something in that, you know, you would never say to somebody's face. Scott's sure. a big man, but he's in Cali. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that, right? <laughs> So I, and I think that's why, that's one of the things about, and whether it's the cigar shop or the, or the bar, as long as, you know, you don't go out of hand with the, uh, having too many drinks, uh, just sitting around in a circle, having conversations with, with real people, people who you're actually face to face with, because honestly, I've, I've had a lot of arguments on social media in the past that I realized the only reason they be, they turned in arguments because they were misunderstandings over nuance over little things that you know just lost in the characters on the page that you can't get that nuance in a in a in a conversation back and forth typing you can only get that nuance looking somebody in the eye and and that's why I think the cigar culture is so important just to be able to sit around and actually talk to people face to face and yep argue yep disagree but in the end it's that nuance and it's that it's that it's that face to face communication that um makes a big difference mm-hmm. and Here's the other thing, too, Matt, that I will say. Yeah. I, I hate to cut you off, but no, please this, go for this it. This is one of those things where I agree with you, but some people are honest people. I had a guy, and some of you guys don't know, but I work at a cigar lounge here in San Diego. And there's a regular customer, comes in all the time, been knowing him for the past two and a half years now. And he made a statement to me the other day. He said that I don't believe in white privilege. Some people can say that, you know, and I have no problem with you saying that. 
But to get the true understanding behind what's meant by that is a huge difference. Now, like you said, you know, we're sitting around, we're smoking these cigars, you know, we're open. We have a lot of open dialogue and we all know it. Black, white, Hispanic, whatever. Doesn't make a difference. The way that I look at it is how we walk away from that conversation. We can have that difficult conversation, mm-hmm. but how we walk away from it makes right. a difference. Because when 100%. you come back into that lounge, I'm still going to be there. Yeah. You still going to see this black face. <laughs> and I'm still going to be there, right? But how we interact after that is going to make the, the biggest difference. And me and this guy, we still we, we can sit and talk all day about this stuff. We can go back and forth. You know, One of the biggest things that I hate that is actually happening in the media is that everybody wants to swing this towards politics. Huh. Yeah, this is, here. this is not a political it issue. Is not a political issue. No, this is a human being issue. In case we have forgotten that, people. Yep. This is a human being issue. And if you don't believe it, just turn on your TV and look at the people protesting. That's what it's about. Yeah. When I have people ask me, well, how can these white people be out there? Because they believe in human, humil- I mean humanity. You idiots! What do you mean? Why are they out there? Who gives a damn with white, black, Hispanic, age? Who cares? We're human beings. We care about each other. If we don't care about each other, then what the hell do we actually have? We don't have a a a, a true loving world. You know, I did a live the other day, and I had everybody in their mind or out loud, whatever, say the pledge of allegiance. Because in the end, that last sentence says, and justice for all. Mm-hmm. But what all does that encompass? That's right. the question. That's where we're at now. You know, so, everybody can bring up the, the, the Constitution and the amendments, and I can say this, and I can do that. People forget that we were two-thirds of a man. Yeah. People well, forget. I looked, up, uh, I looked up some statistics in Minnesota. And uh, 68, uh, let's see here. Um, So um, black versus white in conviction rates. Um, Black man on average got 68% of the max sentence while white men of the same crime only got 17. Right. That right there is an institutionalized racism. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, hey, here's, here's another number. 2015, 104 unarmed black men were killed. At least two were killed per week by police. Yep. And uh, the the moment I realized my white privilege, and it, it wasn't, uh, white privilege wasn't a uh, term or a thing back then, but... Um, my roommate and I, James, we went to a gas station and uh, we each paid for our things with a check. They only asked him for his ID to pay <laughs> for his thing. And I remember thinking that was weird. I just checked out right before him, but they asked him for his check. Then a couple days later, driving to his very nice house in posh little neighborhood, we got pulled over. Everything was legit. And it just made me think, these are things that I never get to see in my 
white sphere, you know, those experiences. Um, and, and so, you know, believe half what you hear and, uh, or half what, half what you see, not what you hear. Yeah. Half right. what you see, not what you hear, you know? And I think so many white people just don't see that they don't experience it. But my problem is the white people that aren't listening, they're not listening to the story. They're not hearing the hurt. They're not feeling that hurt because it doesn't affect us. So we choose to ignore it. We choose not to believe it because we don't see it. We don't feel it. And we got to start hearing and listening to those who do. That's pretty much where it starts. I think you guys right there in many, uh, in, in Minnesota, your sheriff, uh, he did that. You know, he went yep. out to the crowds and he said, you know, what do you want me to do? He said, we right. want you to listen. They want you to, we want you to march with us. Let's go. Yep. That was one of the beautiful things I saw. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just, you know, you brought up something that I saw over the weekend. The um, sheriff in Houston went out to the crowd and said, nah, this isn't a protest anymore. This is a parade. And he walked arm in arm. And we're starting to see more of that. And that's beautiful. I mean, when the civil, the riot, civil unrest, whatever you want to call it, went down the day after, people were out there cleaning up, putting it back together. I mean, you know, the builders came out. You know, there's going to be a seven that's going to tear stuff down. But then you've got the builders and the healers coming out there, you know, like this is our community and we don't want to see it go down like this. So, you know, we got to do better. We got to pick it up, man. And you see that all around. You see them black and white out here in um, Roseville. You know, they were protesting. You know, they're out on a corner, like a whole group of, you know, it was, you know, I live, let's be honest, in a mostly white city, you know, city. But they were all out there with their signs, you know, chanting and people honking and waving. It's a beautiful thing because people are starting to come together. So if anything comes from this, I hope it continues. Mm-hmm. You know, but what my fear is, is that when the next big thing hits the news cycle, this will be all forgotten and we will be doing this again. 100%. Right? And that's the same. And to what Leo was saying is we've got to sustain this you know, because Rodney King was so long ago, it's like we've forgotten and we're right back to 1992. That's it. I mean, the, even, even, uh, and I know there's going to be a lot of people want to chime in right now, but <laughs> even President, uh, President Barack Obama said this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. It's been a marathon for a lot of years, guys, a lot of years. You know, I mean, w- one of the things that I believe in is that we've lost a lot of humanity and love. That's really what we've lost. You know, and, and that's where, you know, we, we can, you know, I saw something the other day. Somebody said, you know what? Well, after this is over, then what's going to happen? Are they going to attack, you know, um, L, the LBGT community? It's like, Jesus. I mean, you know, guys, this is the this is the problem. Let's stay focused, people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stay focused. This is the problem. This is where we're at. You're, you're, you're actually going right into the problem. And you have to understand where this is, man. And, you know, I have a very good friend of mine on right now, and he, he's a, a a Missouri trooper. And I love this guy. You know, he, he's, he's white, Caucasian, whatever. We can say that to each other. I know him and I are very close. But I love this dude. And, you know, he's told me a lot about what he encountered. And, you know, we have these discussions, you know. And a lot of people want to say that, you know, all cops are bad, especially in the black community. No, it's not. It yeah. takes the conversation. It takes the listening like we're talking about, you know, and, you know, 
I don't know if you guys know or not, but today it was just announced, and this is probably going to cause a lot of beef as well. But uh, Reverend Al Sharpton said that there's going to be another march to Washington, August 28th. August 28th. And one of the things I will say about that is that I said this when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Did I agree that that was the right platform? No, I don't. Not on not on the turf. Okay, not on the turf. Take it to the Capitol. There you go. That's where things get changed. However, at the same time, you know, talking about taking to the Capitol, I just heard the police chief from uh, Coral Gables in Florida. (laughs) This really pissed me off, said that, well, and, and let me let me actually quote him. Okay, he said, if you're peaceful, then we can talk to the lawmakers. (laughs) <laughs> i'm sorry is it just me so i have to be peaceful for you to talk to the lawmakers are we not human beings what the what the hell is going on <laughs> I, guys this is this is what this is what we as black people think about this is what we do i'm not trying to be the black spokesman that's not what i'm here for What I am saying is that these are the thoughts that we have. And you have to understand this is the fight that we have every day. Like Scott said, you know, I don't necessarily put it out there every day, but it's in me. I have to look at it every day. Yeah. Well, and David, uh, David's a friend of ours. He's putting up a comment up. I don't, he says, I did not see anything wrong with taking a knee. David, I didn't either. No, it's his, it's his God given right to take a knee. It's God given right to protest. It's his God, but but we're we can still say and 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 if anybody of any color can can choose to take a knee or not take a knee but they can also choose to say i wish that guy wouldn't take a knee but they can also then further say i'm glad that guy took a knee and i and i and i kneel with him yeah i you should be allowed you should be allowed to say both but you shouldn't. You shouldn't be. You you shouldn't be saying to him, um, "You're not allowed to take a knee." Right. Well, yeah, he is allowed to take a knee. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, on the other side of the coin, you shouldn't say, "If if you disagree with him taking a knee, that means you're a racist." Whoa, 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 whoa! No, that's not what that means. It means right. I disagree with him taking a knee. I support his right to take a knee. Take a knee all day long. So forfeit the game, stay home from the game. If you, but, but I've, I've, whatever way you want to protest, I say protest. That's your right. Yeah. And but, the, but the sad part about this whole, you know, especially the Colin Kaepernick thing is it created more controversy than it did move anything forward. Right. You know, so we have to come up with better strategies on, Number one, it shouldn't have been as controversial as it was. And I think that's a it's a part of the media that, you know, took a side one way or another and really um, forced people to to take a side you yeah. know, versus another instead of just letting the man do what he wanted to do. You know, um, we got to come up with different avenues, better avenues that have longer lasting effects of. Um, letting our voice be heard. One of the things I think that we all need to do, myself included, because I'm not trying to preach to anybody, is we got to learn the art of 
respectful discourse, just like the Colin Kaepernick thing. You know, it's like a lot of the time I kept my mouth shut about it. I didn't agree with it, but hey, you do you. That's your choice. That's 100%. fine. And, you know, as talking to some people, because, you know, of course, if I don't follow the proper black narrative, I'm cooning, I'm a sellout. You know, I've lived with that shit all my life because I, you know, in the way that I speak. You know, when I was a kid, I had a speech impairment problem. So I went to speech and I have to, you know, really enunciate and speak my words. And I had a mother and grandmother who did not put up with, you know, jive, jive talking in front of them. It's like, no, you speak to me in English. You know, you know, and my mother, she was the um, head of non-salary hiring for um, a major telecommunications concern back in the um, 80s and 90s. And she started out as an employment interviewer. And my sister and I were her guinea pigs. So when she she basically had to do an audition tape. So we had to read from a script and she's acting as the hiring supervisor. And when I went for my first job, she drilled me on interviewing. You know, it was do not say um, you know, mm-hmm. say what you mean, speak in this fashion. And because I did that, you know, and it's horrible. It's, you know. I had kids telling me I'm trying to be white or because I like something that's not thought of as black. I'm trying to be white. Now I, I've dealt with that all my life. And the really horrible thing was um, my babies. I have two girls. My oldest is 26 now, but when she started junior high school, because she liked rock and roll music and alternative music, the black kids gave her shit saying she's trying to be white. You know, and the way she spoke, because I was like, no, when you speak to me, you speak to me properly in English. You know, not that y'all this. I mean, there's a time and place for it, but it ain't with me. And it's not going to be the person who's going to be hiring you or when you have to deal out in the world, because it's a sad fact. People are going to judge you by how you speak. Mm -hmm. And I drilled that into my kids. And because of that, my little girl gets penalized you know, and feeling ostracized. And when she came, you know, um, when she came home in tears about it, it just brought back all those feelings in me. And it's like, man, what do I do? You know, because, you know, when I was coming up, it's just, you know, what am I going to do? Just, you just got to sit there and take it, you know, kind of conform or whatever, but you just kind of stuck and hope you ride the wave out, which I did, but it still is enraging. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good, that's a good topic to talk about too. Is uh, black identity versus assimilation? Um, there is uh, there was a, when I was at uh, in college, there was a um, this uh, this black girl made uh, this petition. Um, she had this great afro. But she said, and she created this petition and, you know, got some friends and stuff um, for white people to stop touching her hair. (laughs) Because it was such a thing for so many white people. Can you talk a little bit about black identity, assimilation, um, that just that piece of of that? You want it, Scott? You want me to take it? Go ahead and take it. <laughs> I feel like I'm dominating the conversation on this one. Black, Please take it for me. Look, black identity is is within us. You know, I mean, you can go back to cornbread, 
Black Eyed Peas, Chitlins, you know, that's just who we are. You know, I mean, it's something that we hold very near and dear to our hearts because it is of our culture. It is what we have created for us to say, hey, this is how we relate. There's other ways that people relate, but this is how we relate. You know, I mean, whenever we go into, um, you know, whether it be what stores that we shop at, we're going to go to certain stores, you know, whether it's what clothes that we that we wear. It's an identity for us. You know, if everybody remembers FUBU, hmm. you know, for us, for by, by us, that was so controversial. But why? You know, I mean, can we, you know, I even brought this up before is that, you know, can we not have our own banks? Can we not have the barbershop that's where everybody goes that's the community place where everything is safe everyone is safe kids women men that barbershop is our identity that's where we go to get therapy that's where we go and and just let loose just have a little fun you know the movie barbershop was not just a movie there was a little <laughs> bit of truth in there too that's right a little bit of truth in there. That's our sacred ground. That's where we can go and talk. So when we talk about black identity, there's a lot of things that some of you guys have already heard. It doesn't matter. But that's our identity. That's who we are, whether it be an Afro, whether it be braids, whether it be a beard of a certain length, whether it be certain things such as earrings or nose rings because that's an identity that goes back to Africa. That's not just the United States things. That was a tribal thing. Told you what tribe that you belong to. Our identity is just something that's totally different. We have rap music. We have BET. There's nothing wrong with it. But it becomes a problem. You know, I heard I've heard growing up and I'm sure, Scott, you heard this, too. Like, well, why does it have to be B.E.T.? Well, I'm going to come out with with a W.E.T. Uh, do I feel this one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. feel why there's a B.E.T. There's sure, a reason man. Why we have black entertainment television. MTV, of course, came out in 80, 81. One of the artists, one by the name of Rick James, wanted to get his videos onto MTV and they weren't interested. They didn't want to, they didn't see any money or interest in urban music. So it was all rock and roll all the time. Hey, you do you. BET was a brainchild of an individual to say, let's bring our, you know, our programming on. So we're not coming hat in hand to, you know, these people who aren't interested and let's, you know, market this to people who are interested, who happen to be us. A lot of black institutions in this country, and we can't run away from this. This might be a little uncomfortable, but a lot of our traditional black fraternities and sororities, historic black colleges, those came from, we weren't getting into white colleges. They weren't letting us in. So what do we do? We said, fine, we'll do our, we'll find our own thing. And now that everything is quote unquote fine, we're supposed to abolish something that was built in tradition 
and unity because now you're saying, okay, well, we'll let you guys in and, you know, you can just, you know, you can throw that out. We can, you can just throw all that tradition out. <laughs> well, look at, I mean, baseball, I mean, the, 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 Negro the, the Negro leagues, I mean, some of the, some of the greatest players, you know, in, in the history of the game, um, had they had to create their own league because major league baseball wouldn't let them in. That's right. Um, and, um, so I want to, I want to kind of touch on something we've already hit recently and, and expand on it a little bit. And it, it, it deals with group identity versus individuality. So, and I think a lot of this is perpetuated by the media over the last Honestly, I'm not even going to say short term. I honestly think it's been like 40 years that the media has been kind of perpetuating this group identity for for all different kinds of groups and almost making people feel as though they have to fall in like lockstep with a with a particular group identity. And if they even veer outside of that lane, even a little bit, then they get ostracized for it. You know, and it let's I mean, it, it could be any it could be any identity, whether it's political identity, race identity, sexual identity, whatever it is. You So just let's take, for example, like politically, like left versus right. It's like if you're on if you're right, then you have to be 100 percent pro gun, pro life, pro prayer in schools, pro this, pro that. And if you're left you have to be 100% pro choice anti you know anti gun anti this anti whatever it is and how do you how do you balance you know l- like you were talking about leo as far as as far as embracing black identity but also having the freedom to say i can disagree on these a, a couple things here and i don't i you know that doesn't what do you what do you how do you react when you hear people say things like like because I've heard so many things this nonsense over the years of people saying, oh, you're not as black or you're not black because you don't think this or you don't say that or you don't believe this or that or even even non-racial. If somebody says, oh, you're not really a Republican because you don't believe this and you don't say that. And so where do you where's the balance between that group? being a part of that group, but still having your own individual thoughts and ideas. No, you guys are both voting for Biden, right? Cause you're black. <laughs> no, a girl told me the other day, you know, Bernie Sanders is still out there. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you know, where I stand on this kind of issue is, is here. If I'm going to be ostracized because like Scott was mentioning is that I enunciate my words I talk a little bit more educatedly and let me be ostracized Mm. because here's the difference is that I don't have to hang with the boys. You know, some of the, some of you guys know that are out there to watch and I grew up in the streets of Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. You know, I can hang with the best of them, you know, as far as getting down, talking stupid and getting, getting arrogant, whatever. But then I can also take it to the other level to where I can do business. And then I can talk a little bit more intelligently but then does that take away with who take away from who I am? One of the things that my father always told me, I don't care what you do in life, be a good person. In the end, that's all that matters. 
Now, being a good person can go into a whole lot of things. That's very broad, mm -hmm. right? So you have to hone into what it is that being a good person is to you. And that's what matters. That's how I deal with it. I deal with me as an individual. I don't worry about what the rest of America says that I should be looking like and acting like and talking like and speaking like. I deal with me. You know, I have different interactions. You know, barrels and leaves exist because of a reason. It's because of cigars and because of people who I've talked to, how I've gotten to where things are actually starting to happen a little bit faster, a little bit quicker than what I expected. And I'm talking to the right people. I'm having the right conversations. I don't have to go out there and say, hey, what's up, dog? This is how we don't get out. <laughs> no, what I will do is say, hey, how are you doing, Mr. Johnson? My name is Leo Brown, and this is what I explained, uh, I want to explain to you. There's nothing wrong with separating the two. I have a different life outside of work. Mm -hmm. We all do. We all should. So I don't care about the rhetoric that I may take. I don't care. That's how I deal with it personally. Because I am my own man. I am my own individual. I am going to be who I am. The people who are around me, the people who love me, the people who are going to be with me, they're going to be with me because of who I am, not the way I talk, not the way I look, not the way I dress. Yeah. And if we're going to go back to love, if we're going to go back to humanity. If we're going to go back to what Dr. King said, I don't I want to, my kids to grow up in a world where they are not judged by the color of their skin. But the content of their character. Yeah. Amen. You know, how many of us are really out there doing that? Hmm. This is something that we live with. This is a black man who identified who black people were. But to give that back, it depends on each and every individual. We don't, act, we don't have to be out in the streets riding. We can just be peaceful protesters. I look at those individuals that can be considered an institution, such as we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. That can be considered an institution, which it's peaceful. Can I identify with that? I sure can. Can you identify with it? You sure can. Because there's nothing specific about it. It just says Black Lives Matter. And it's a movement. We want everyone to be a part of it if this is what they choose to be. But we cannot worry about what somebody thinks of us. You know, this, this kind of goes into... A lot of different things, but we, I, I, we just cannot worry what people think of us just as an individual and also as black human beings. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Scott has to say behind that. You know, as you were speaking, um, I want to be a little, you know, I, that was beautiful. I kind of want to be a little less delicate about it because like I said, I lived a lifetime of being told about because I'm black, I'm supposed to think this. I'm an independent conservative. I am pro 2A. I was Republican for a time. I'm more independent now because I don't vote for anybody because they have a D or R behind their name. I want to know who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, Amen. you never guess who I voted for in the last election for president. You know, if you ask me, I'll tell you. But, you know, for people who think that I'm supposed to be in this little box and you know, live a lifetime of people telling me what I shouldn't do. Black and white, well, you can't be that. How can you be that? But you're black, but black people don't do this. And, you know, forgive me, I'm going to say this. To those people who say that, fuck what you think. Amen. You know, if you want to be on my team, be on my team. If you don't, go in peace. Keep it moving. It's okay. But mm -hmm. I won't tolerate from anybody trying to tell me how 
and what and why I should think just because it's the X narrative, whatever narrative it is. And no, that doesn't encompass you. You know, I, you know, I don't do that. I can't do that. You know, I've lived too long. I, I just, I won't do that for anybody. And that brings me to, you know, being a product of our environment. You know, a lot of us are, are products of our environment. Um, And there's a lot of people, and we kind of touched on it earlier a little bit at the beginning of the show, but let's talk about black-on-black crime when that is brought up as, you know, well, what about black-on-black crime? That is far worse and more numbers and all of this. Let's talk about black-on-black crime. What does that mean to you guys when you hear it, when, you know, that issue it means something to me. I mean, the casual way people throw that out there, it's a problem, let's be real. Mm-hmm. But it's, re- it's real for me because I've buried friends over, over bull, over nothing. You know, just because they were wearing the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood, they got blasted on. You know, I've been to more than one gang funeral. I was at a crypt funeral once when I was coming up. And, you know, his boys were there with their crip rags and they threw him into the grave. His mama actually climbed into the grave and threw him out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's something for me. And it, it breaks my heart to see it when you hear the numbers in cities like Chicago, you know, where I came, where I grew up, you know, for a time out in Compton before I moved to the suburbs, you know, hearing all this stuff being perpetrated. And, you know, as far as the rap music goes, they're telling a story. I mean, for a lot of those cats, that was real, mm-hmm. you know, and you got people out there singing about it, glorifying it like it's a game. You know, that whole, you know, whole black on black crime, this culture of death we got stuck in, you know, that people chose to get into. Because I'm not going to say stuck. You make a choice. You know, I don't care what your upbringing is. You have to make a choice at some point. Where to be a part of it. I know, you know, former Crips, after they did some time, they're like, this ain't for me. You know, I know one cat now out in L.A. We went to elementary school together and he came up in the gang lifestyle. He did time. He got out. And, you know, I see him on Facebook all the time. And he, you know, runs a barbershop, does side jobs. He's up on Facebook saying things like, hey, man, I got all these groceries that people donated. If you need groceries, hit me up. Or if you need a ride somewhere, hit me up. I know what he did before, and I don't agree with it. I don't abide by it. I don't like it. I'm glad he came out on the other end, and he's doing good now. But a lot of cats didn't. A lot of people died. You know, so black-on-black crime for me, yeah, it's heartbreaking to me. And then, you know, what irritates me is we're talking about a specific subject. And it just because we're talking about the police, and by the way, I'm very pro-police, um, mm-hmm. and, but we're talking about the fallacies of police, and we'll get into, you know, maybe some of the solutions, you know, mm-hmm. only me can bring up. But when the instance you start talking about, you know, um, overreach by the police, someone's going to say, well, what about black-on-black crime? Well, yeah, that's a problem, too. And that's <laughs> what we're talking about right now. We can talk about that. That's fine. But right now we're talking about this. But it seems to be some people's default to say, but well, what about this? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that right now. But we can talk about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm not a part of that community anymore. You know, I, as in, I don't live there anymore. And I'm going to tell the truth. I don't know the answer. You know, I don't know, you know, how we can take a generation of young brothers and tell them, hey, man, that's not the way. You know, you know, you killing another black person over what? Do you know that you are funding the prison industry? Mm-hmm. Funding prisons, man. That's why they got, that's why they have private prisons, because they can make money. Yep. Because they can feed you something to the level of dog poop and still say they're feeding you and make money off of it. You know, and sometimes we got to attack it like that. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who got out of prison and, you know, we just got chopping it up a little bit. And he said to me some of the wisest stuff I ever heard. He said, man, when I was you know coming up, I was like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. And then I went to prison where someone's always telling you what to do. You know, what you want irrelevant. You're going to work at this time. You're going to go into your cell at this time. It ain't coming out till this time. This is when you eat. This is when you do this. Oh, yeah, here you go. We let you shower every now and then. You know, all, all the time you trying to avoid the yard politics, you know, um, trying to, you know, stay safe and all of that. It's, you know, it's some hard questions, man. I don't have the answer to them. I wish I was smart enough to just say, you know, this is what we need to do. I mean, anybody can do that. I can sit there and say, well, y'all need to do this, this, and this. But I truly don't have the answer. Well, I want to I want to bring something up before Leo puts his thoughts on it. But I also, I have to, this is awesome. My, my niece, Sarah, has a question. She says, do you feel like the term black-on-black crime is strange to highlight because every race has crime within itself? I think that's a fantastic question. And I, I, I agree with what Sarah's saying. So let, I want to kind of try to, I, I think it's a great question because I think, and I've seen it happen, and I know you guys have seen it way more than I have, but I think it's common that when something, when a tragedy happens like George Floyd getting murdered and people start talking about all the circumstances surrounding that, and start talking about the, the just the 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 brutal, senseless carelessness that led to his death. Then some people chime in with, "Well, what about black on black crime?" I think it's very common that that is used as a deflection mechanism mm-hmm. because okay. it's almost you could be having any conversation about anything. You could be have a conversation about. You know, um, picture, okay, picture yourself at uh, a funeral. Let's, uh, I'm just making up a scenario. A, a, a good friend of yours dies from cancer. It's tragic. Everybody's sad. We get it. And you're there mourning, and somebody comes up and says, wow, well, but what about that black on black crime? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what, how does that relate in any way, shape, or form to what we're, the tragedy and the sadness we're dealing with in this situation. It's not related. Is black and black crime a tragedy? Yes, it is. But we're not, it doesn't, the black on black crime. We're talking about George Floyd here. That's, that's how I reacted to it. And I think Sarah's questions, it, it, it it's great because it highlights the fact that so many people use 
that as a as a deflection mechanism. And I think a lot of times when 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 race comes into the conversation and when that is when it's related to a particular tragedy, then people sometimes people whether it's whether it's sometimes people bring that subject up because of racism because because they feel a certain way about black people sometimes people bring it up to deflect because like Garrett said at the beginning of the show they're uncomfortable dealing with this tragedy of George Floyd they're uncomfortable so they have they feel like some, some they panic and they deflect just so they don't have to deal with the uncomfortableness anymore so Leo I want to hear your thoughts about kind of this whole this whole issue you know, I, I appreciate the question from your from your niece. I really do, um, because to say that, you know, to ask how do I feel about black on black crime being highlighted? It's only highlighted to those who don't understand it. That's really what it comes down to. Um, again, I, I mean, it, it goes back to a lot of what I've already said, pretty much the same things that we see this day in and day out. This isn't something that's new to to say, you know, how do I feel about black and black crime being highlighted whenever there's a situation like this? OK, that's always going to come up. It's just always going to come up. Don't ask me why, because like you said, Matt, is that it's a deflection kind of thing. And I get it, you know, it's to say, hey, you know, well, let's kind of throw it over here to kind of emphasize that. OK, well, this is why this happened. You know, it's just like one of your uh, one of your guests actually wrote in about the same thing. You know, when you start going back and you try to pick at certain things that kind of make it fit to where it fits you to make you feel good. We're only perpetuating the problem. We're not helping the problem. Mm -hmm. So whenever I say I mean, whenever I hear the question, you know, how do you feel about that being highlighted? Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. The fact that it actually has to be brought up. Mm. Mm hmm. Because we're not talking about that right now. That means absolutely nothing right now. It's the same for me. It's the same as all lives matter in response to black lives matter. Yeah. It feels, it feels like it. Do, do you think Leo, do you no. think it's a deflection mechanism? No, it, of course it's a deflection mechanism. So is all lives matter. It's a yeah. deflection. Yeah. Because we're not talking about black lives at the time. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course all lives matter, but like I said, Black people are considered two thirds of a man. Mm -hmm. Do all lives really matter? <laughs> you know, it's it, it. It makes me think just how racist this country is. Whenever I hear something like that, it does. I can't hold it in anymore. Because we come out with Black Lives Matter, you got to say all lives matter, or blue lives matter, or red lives matter. Really? So we can't, again, this goes back to we can't have our own stuff. Right. We can't, we can't practice what we need to practice. Mm -hmm. What the hell is wrong with the world? Because now you want to put, you want to sit there and say, well, now you're making it a black and white thing. No, we're not. Here it is. There's a group of people that have a problem. That has had hundreds of years of problems that has never been highlighted. 
It's never really been talked about. It's never really been reached to the point to where it hurts everybody. But now it's hurting everybody. Well, I, I'll say that the, the, the discussion, the, the subject of Black Lives Matter has, I, I've gone through a, a change of, of, of mind over the last five, six years about that whole discussion because I used to feel kind of that way. I used to, I used to kind of throw that, you know, that all lives matter thing into the mix. And it took me a while to, you know, through discussions with people and, and all that, 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 um, it, for, for me, especially, I mean, pretty much at any time, but especially in the, in the wake of a tragedy to, to say, you know, the, to, to shout out the, the phrase, all lives matter is it, it felt to me similar to saying the sun's going to come up in the morning. Well, of course it is. Of course the sun's going to come up in the morning. We don't have to walk around the streets holding up signs that say the sun's going to come up in the morning. We all know that the sun's going to come up in the morning. Every man, woman, and child on planet Earth knows that the sun's going to come up in the morning. But not every man, woman, and child. Yeah, and, and that's the same as holding up a, a sign that says all lives matter. Everybody knows that. But not everybody knows or believes that black lives matter. Not all, not all people believe that all lives matter either. That's not that's what they're true. saying, Scott. That's, true. I mean, like, not Scott I'm, that's not what they're saying, Matt. They're really saying white lives matter. You think that? You think so? You, you don't see black people ha- saying all lives matter? Well, and I think, I think the, the rub that a lot of white people have is um, in the phrase all uh, black lives matter is, but you're not saying white lives matter. You're not including all lives and um, one of the, the greatest analogies I saw was the, the fireman analogy. Um, saying all lives matter in response to all black lives matter is like telling a fireman to hose down an entire neighborhood when only one house is on fire. Your house isn't on fire, white people. Your house is not on fire. Thank you. That's, that's, that's a very, very good analogy, brother. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Because it, it, it is the truth. You know, I mean, there, you have to, if we don't address an issue, then it never gets solved, right? It's just like when we sit down with a math problem. We got 10 of them, but we got to figure out one at a time. And it's the same thing. We haven't figured out this one issue that's been going on for 401 years. We haven't figured this out yet. It's still an issue. So that's why it's acceptable to say Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. That's why. And I'm looking at some of the comments, and I'm not going to mention anybody, but I'm looking at some of these comments. And it, it just goes into show that there's still a lesson, a bunch mm-hmm. of lessons that need to be learned. That's right. It's not really truly being understood. 
And that's where we're going to have to separate. We're going to have to make some changes. You know, somebody asked me, you know, like, well, what's what's supposed to be the end goal? What's supposed to be the result? Well, the result is let's sit down and let's listen. That's number one. Let's sit down and let's listen. Because once we listen, we can figure out a start to a solution. There's not going to be an exact solution. It's just not going to happen overnight. But it's going to be a start to one. And that's what matters. Once we can start that solution building, then we can go somewhere. Then we can start to figure something out. That's what we're looking for. Just as a good friend of mine says, I just want that seat at the table. Mm hmm. Well, I, I like the fact, I appreciate the fact, and I hope you guys do too, that, and I think you do, the, the fact that there's there's a lot of varied perspectives in the comments. You know, we're not going to agree with all the perspectives in the comments. And I, I, I appreciate all the comments. We appreciate all the comments. 100%. You know, we're not going to, and that's, that's the point. That's the point of having these conversations is that I, I don't agree with Scott or Leo on everything in the world. And they don't agree with me on everything in the world and, or Garrett, mm-hmm. you know, Garrett's left of center. I'm right of center. So be it. That's just the way things are. But we, we have to have these talks and we have to, we have to disagree about some shit because if we, if we actually are willing to get in the fire in those hot spots and disagree about some of that stuff, then at the end, we will, can find will common it, ground. We can find common ground somewhere, and and still love each other, and say, and and even 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 give each other shit about the things that we still disagree about in a friendly, loving, uh, kind of cohesive, human way, you know. And um, that's that's why I, I I'm I'm just I still am. Just so grateful to you guys for for being you know being here and I, I want to keep talking if you guys are good to keep going. I'm good, man. I'm good. All right. And I want to. I just want to propose something real quick before we move on. I want to do this again. You know, um, you do that in, in maybe a few months that that we come back to this table and we continue this conversation and uh, we continue to talk about the things that we see, the, the, the momentum. I want to help to inspire a momentum of listening. I don't expect to see this huge global change, but what I want to do is I want to inspire a, people to just listen on, on both sides. I, I often need to do a better job of listening, and it, and it comes from these conversations, experiences from people that, you know, I, I'm not in your shoes. I'm not, I didn't grow up where you grew up. We need to have these conversations and we need to listen. No, you're right. I mean, I think it goes, goes back to, you know, I mean, I don't disagree with everything that police do. I don't disagree with everything that the president does, but yet there's some things that I just don't like and it's okay to talk about it. It's really okay. Yeah. But, we have to be able to say, hey, you know what? This is my opinion. This is your opinion. Okay, I'm going to take it in. And tomorrow, when we talk about this, maybe one of us will understand where the other one is. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing that matters in the end is that we all can come to some kind of neutral ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one of, one of the things I want to touch on now, and we already we already discussed it a little bit, but I want to kind of get more broad on this particular subject is, and it's about social media, you know, especially sort of the conversational social media like Facebook. You know, people post things and then other people comment and then discussions start. And um, do you do you guys think that? And I'm, Scott, I'm going to start with you on this. Do you think that social media when it comes to um, uh, re- understanding of race relations and the, the, the state of things in the world, do you think social media in the end makes things better or worse? Touched upon a little bit about this earlier, and I hate to say, I think it's made things a little worse because, again, you've got people saying things that they won't say to someone's face. They just feel free to say it. You know, I'm a little bit of a gamer, casual gamer. And, you know, I'll play some games just for example. And you do, though, you know, you're able to play with someone from across the nation to across the world. And you get some immature kids who figured out, you know, using their, sound like they're using their first curse word or <laughs> racial epithet. And they're just using it throughout, just throwing it along, knowing full well that if they were in public, if they said that, they would get punched in the face. So, you know, in some respects, social media brings people together, just as it's bringing us together with this conversation. But there's a darker side to social media that we all have to be aware of, where we're not running around like a bunch of prideless cowards. You know, conversation is good. Honest conversation is good. I appreciate everybody who is putting out their opinions as we're speaking. You know, I saw certain things. I'm like, huh, okay. You know, I want to speak on that, you know, just as we talked about black on black crime or, you know, one of the arguments is, well, don't you think Chinese Americans have a hard time when they first get here? Absolutely. But we're not talking about them right now. Is it okay? You know, can I have permission? Can we have permission to just take one problem at a time? Is that okay? Whether it makes you uncomfortable or not. And, you know, in the era of social discourse, there's actually, and this is a physiological fact, when someone challenges your belief, a human being will actually feel real pain if you challenge mm. their beliefs. If you're a Christian and someone comes to you and says, there's no such thing as Jesus Christ, you're going to feel pain because your belief, your core beliefs of what you've been brought up with or chose to believe are being challenged. But the issue is getting away from that, you know, just, you know, feeling the pain and actually discussing it, not defaulting over to a defensive comment if that person wants to talk. You know, I welcome anybody to challenge what I think. You want to call me out on something, that's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings, but let's sit down and really talk about it. Don't do the one shot and you're done. You know, you make a comment, then you run away. That's what I consider some aspects of social media, what some people do. I'm not saying anyone on this podcast is doing that. I'm just saying I've seen it from experience where people will have an argument and they'll, you know, type what they have to type and run off. It's like, wait a minute, I want to talk to you. Why do you believe that? There's a story about a black man. And I want to get this book and I wish I knew his name, but he actually went to Klan rallies and he would go to Klan rallies and talk to Klansmen. And ask them questions. Oh yeah, he was on uh, he was on Rogan a few months yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. 
And a lot of those, you know, some of those, I'm not going to say a lot because I don't know the number, but I know in his closet are Klan robes where people walked away from the Klan because they're talking to this black man. And it's just like, oh, everything I believed is wrong. You know, they actually had the courage, you know, and I give up still for having the courage to sit there and talk to somebody and not just default to this is what I believe and I'm sticking to it. It doesn't matter what you say. I, you know, and it's not my job to convince you, but I welcome anybody to give civil discourse. And if we don't solve it, we walk away and agree to disagree. That's okay. And, you know, recently in this country, and um, there was a point now, say around 16, where you had people. Family members not talking to one another because of the person they voted for. Mm-hmm. You know, they, people on Facebook being unfriended because, <laughs> oh, well, I, I can't be, you know, I'm out. <laughs> you know, I had a friend of mine I, I worked with for years. And because of my pro 2A views, you know, she's just like, well, I just can't follow you anymore. You can feel, you can follow me, but you can feel free to do that. But I just can't follow you anymore. And it's like, that's a wasted opportunity. Talk to me. Ask me questions. I welcome it. And we don't do enough of that. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, social media, like I said, has done good things, but for an instrument of communication, human beings don't communicate anymore. That's right. Behind a desk and a keyboard. You know, I I uh I saw something probably around Maybe around the same time, Scott, you just said like 2016 or something like that. Me and the wife, we were in Chili's and they have this little kiosk that sits on the on the tables and where you can make your payment. Mm-hmm. I told my wife, I said, there's, that's going to be a problem. She said, what do you mean? I said, because now there's no more interaction with people. They don't have to do anything. They can mm-hmm. just bring you your food and that's it. There's no more customer service. There's no more, is your food okay? Is there anything I can do to make anything more comfortable for you? Can I get you anything else? The internet essentially brought that upon us. The internet, not just social media. Because it exists because of the internet, right? So Mm -hmm. when the internet came out, it was a way for us to reach out to people that were not right next door to us or we couldn't drive to, right? So that's then there came email. Wow, email. Now I can really send a letter to somebody and I can't even write. I don't even have to write a letter anymore, which is more personalized. Yeah. Then comes social media. Social media says, you know what? Now I can stay in contact with everybody. But not only that, I can be a keyboard gangster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and 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 yep. part of that, Leo, is and, and this is my take on it that that's a big portion of that like you said over the years you know you've got the internet where you you don't have to actually go into a library and crack an encyclopedia you can just look at it on your computer then you've got email you don't have to actually write with your own hands on a piece of paper and put a stamp on the envelope put it in the mailbox and then you've got social media where you can you can you know put out all these so i think a big part of that and and this is probably just you know my old man coming out is laziness it's easy look, look it's all everything's easy now it's just you don't have to there there's no effort required yeah there's no effort i'm a i'm a comms major right what i see on social media really pisses me off the one thing that really pisses me off is that people don't even use punctuation anymore oh my god yeah. I got one big run-on sentence oh yeah a paragraph 
and I have no idea what the hell you're actually trying to say. I don't know if it's a question, comment, like, dislike. I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. But the where social media actually is today, uh, I, I think that, and I actually started writing a paper on this, is it really went back to technology. And that did technology hurt us or has it helped us? And we have to agree that it's both. It is, yeah. 100%. Has it harmed us in certain aspects? Yes. Has it helped us in certain aspects? Yes. It's the matter in which we take it and utilize it is where we can actually gain from it or we can lose from it. Because just like you, you know, you got people who unfriend you. The The way that I go with that is that if you unfriend me because of something I believe in, then first off, we were probably just Facebook, Instagram friends. Yep. We weren't truly friends. All of my real friends stay followers. All of the friends I've had for years are followers. Because they love me. They know me. They understand me. All the other followers, I hope and I pray that you follow me because of who I am and what I'm doing. But then that goes into something else that goes along with our mentality now, our, our, our physical uh, 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 human mentality goes into followers. That word means a lot. There are no more leaders. Mark Zuckerberg is the leader. <laughs> Everybody else is just followers. That's right. That goes very deep when you actually think about it. I'm just as guilty of it, right? We're all on here are just as guilty of it. Followers. But it's how we use the technology. It's how we actually use social media. It's how we actually, what are we actually trying to get from it? You know, which is another question, which we're trying to figure out what's going on with, with the state of the country today. What are we trying to get from this? It goes into the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. social media can be useful, but it can also be hurtful. But mm-hmm. use it the way that it was intended, which was to reach out and have fun. Connect to people. That's it. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things. So ever since um, ever since this How About That Cigar thing started, every show ends with the, the phrase, burn cigars, not bridges. And part of that is when, when, when that thought first came to my mind, it was about sitting in a cigar shop having conversations that were difficult conversations and, and um, you know, but the, the, the thing that was great about it is those conversations then transitioned, you know, they, they came to a, a, a certain point of, of uh, you know, everyone willing to concede that, it's time to move on from the conversation. Let's talk about something else. And then you talk about the game or your family or your job or whatever. And I think part of that, you know, like we were talking about with social media is we're, we're losing. And unfortunately COVID is not making it any easier because we're really losing personal connections, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you know, in the past, those personal connections came from things like school and church and yeah. the, like you mentioned, the barber shop and the cigar shop and, you know, uh, 
you know, for for a lot of the ladies, the beauty parlor or the, the nail salon, whatever it may be. Yep. And what what do you guys think it is about premium cigars and like other it could be any hobby. It could be golfing or basketball or whatever it is. What what do you think it is about those hobby pursuits that that has sort of always naturally bridged gaps between people? I think because you have a common interest and that's where you start. We can come from all different walks of life. And I go back to the cigar lounge. You know, we got guys who are um, farriers to multimillionaires who come into the shop. And that's not the question. You don't ask them about that. You ask about what you're smoking. That's a common bridge and everything builds from there. So whether, you know, you do martial arts like um, I do, it's a commonality and it's it builds a bridge and then you can start to talking. You know, it's basically an icebreaker, if you will. I, I pretty much think the same thing. I, I mean, you know, any advice that we have is, is always going to be somebody else who enjoys it as well. You know, uh, cigars, golf, baseball, basketball, what have you. Right. Um, it. it for for us on obviously on this show it's it's cigars, and cigars are that that even playing field, you know it's that neutral ground, is really what it is because everybody is enjoying the same thing everybody is that stick between our two fingers, yeah, is what brings us together. We don't have yeah. to have a lick of alcohol, we don't have to have anything but that cigar. To be able to enjoy ourselves, talk to the man next to us, woman next to us, and just say, hey, you know what? How are you doing today? Like I said earlier, you know, it lowers blood pressure because now you take away from that everyday hustle and bustle and you don't have to worry about that. You're just sitting around and you're just relaxing. That's right. It's, it's not that difficult to find something that you love and appreciate and enjoy and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take this time to relax myself. Yes, it's yeah. just, to me, it's just that simple. You know, I mean, the, the social media is not going to give us that. It's going to piss us off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, um, and it's only gotten worse, but I remember picking my daughter up and some friends from a movie theater. And it was it was a teen movie, whatever it was, and watching this scene of teenagers come out of this movie theater and every one of them was in their phone. <laughs> oh yeah. You know? And I remember when I was a kid walking out of a theater and we're talking about, yeah, did you see this and that? And then remember when that happened and he said yep. this and, you know, and we had a totally different experience than they do now. Um, social media, the electronic age, age of the internet has completely changed the way that we communicate, that we, um, you know, really have language. It's a totally different language mm -hmm. today. And um, it's really sad because it is breaking this interpersonal relationship. And I, you know, we need to bring it back. We got to do this more. And that's what I love about cigars. 
There's a great viewer comment. We enjoy sharing commonalities with others. The joy of it overrides the other things and emotions. That gets mm-hmm. a big amen from me. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's my brother uh, Rob from Atlanta. The ATL. He, uh, he he was one of the first people that actually reached out to me and said, "Leo, I don't know. Talk to me." You know, when I talk about, when I reference, we just need to listen. That's the kind of man I'm referring to. Mm. I loved him for that. And we talked for probably about an hour, hour and a half. And there's no way in hell that you can get everything from 400 years in an hour, an hour and a half. But, you know, we talk all the time, too. You guys may know him. He's traveling cigars. No, I'm not familiar. I'm not either. uh, But he's a very, very good brother of mine. Uh, We met at the show uh, some years ago and been friends ever since. And, uh, you know, I love this guy for being able to come to me and say, Leo, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Help me out. And that's where it starts. That's really where it starts, you know? Um, but the, the, the commonality is the cigar between our two fingers, man. That's really what it comes back to. And, you know, it calms everybody down. Like I said, we may walk away not agreeing, but you know, tomorrow when we go back into the shop, we may say, Hey, you know what? I remember what you were talking about. And yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel you on that. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing yeah. absolutely at all wrong with that. Um, so every week on the show, we we do a little thing that we call smokabulary words. That um, you know, it's just a it's usually a, a funny word that it either has been repurposed for the for the cigar world or or uh, nobody knows unless they're they're a premium cigar smoker. But just because of the kind of conversation we're having, I I just put. The I just put the term cigar culture, and when you when you guys hear the term cigar culture, what does that mean to you? I tell you this: I just had a good conversation with my man Chris Moore um, of Carolina Blue Cigars, and we talked about this in detail. And I never thought of it this way, and I totally one hundred percent love him for his answer. He said, "I'm not a part of the culture." I'm just part of the industry because the culture of the people who live it every day, the culture of the people who are planting that seedling, the culture of the people who are maintaining those fields, taking the leaves off, hanging them in the rafters, drying them, putting them in the, in the right humidity, put them in the balloons. Those that is culture. It's just like saying, is this black culture or black community? See, I live the black culture. I live the life every day. Some people try to understand the community. You can't mix those two. And I get it. So what that means to me is that if I'm saying cigar culture, I'm saying that I live it, breathe it, sleep it. It's what I do 100% every day of my life. But I don't do that. I don't think most of us here do that. That's and, and I like I said, I agree with Chris. Being out in that field makes a total difference. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what does that term mean to you? For me, it's a brotherhood, sisterhood, you know, and, you know, Garrett, you know, when we first started talking, I immediately called you brother. That's right. You know, you are, you know, fellow brother of the leaf. I love all my brothers and sisters of the leaf. You know, we smoke, we have a commonality of smoking and enjoying this that was grown in a field, handcrafted. And there are so many varieties um, that you can get and you can sample. It's just like it's a world, you know, that you walk into 
and you could live your whole life and probably not smoke every single cigar. You'll try, and it's a fun trip. <laughs> but just the variety of the cigars you smoke, and as you're smoking and you're talking, and then you start talking about doing trips together. You know, um, we at Beyond the Humidor, we um, started this tradition that we, well, we started last year. We go over to um, Colorado for their um, cigar festival that happens at the end of August. And we, you know, we go, we have a good time. I think this year we've got guys from the shop, us from Beyond the Humidor who are going. I think there's probably about 30 of us between who are on the podcast and who are patrons of the shop I go to. We're going to be there just enjoying ourselves, having a good time, smoking, drinking, laughing, sharing cigars, all of that, you know? And that's what, you know, we call it beyond the humor. We call it the cigar lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because it encompasses so many things. The whole idea of beyond the humidor is, you know, it starts with this, but then it ends up into so many things. You know, yeah. I've been with guys at the cigar shop, hung out with them. And it's like, Hey man, you want to come ride with us out to Shasta? You got a bike, so come on a ride with us. I'm like, all right, we ride out to Shasta, meet another friend of ours, hang out there a little bit, ride back to um, Roseville. We, you know, go to breakfast together, we eat together. Um, I have a little Fourth of July party at my place. In fact, we had a New Year's party at my place as well, where we all get together, smoke, drink, have a good time, eat, tell funny stories, and that's what this encompasses. And it all starts with this. Yeah, and well, we, hope, thing. We, uh, we hope to go to uh, Rocky Mountain yeah. this year. Yeah, we're, oh, yeah. we're planning on we're planning on being there this year. So, yeah. what I hope uh, Scott is uh, after you've had several drinks, <laughs> you and I will spar, and only after several <laughs> drinks. <laughs> that's gonna be a short. That's gonna be the shortest sparring session ever. Ooh, <laughs> Oh man, that's hilarious, brother! <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, he said he's going to let you get to your best drunken state. There you go. <laughs> and you know, thirteen years of Jeet Kune Do. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make an early prediction on how that sparring <laughs> session ends with Garrett on the floor. <laughs> going to give him uh, a special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two pieces of biscuit. <laughs> the biscuit is free. Well, and you know, how, and so I want to I want to talk about culture, just the word culture, um, and I want to talk about when when I when I think about black culture and um, really look at it in the the rich um, history that it is. And then I look at my culture and I feel like it is void. I'm, I'm white. I'm, I think I'm mostly Norwegian, but I don't have a real culture that I look back to in my whiteness and say, you know, this is my rich white culture that really doesn't have a history for me. I don't know if you feel the same way or have the same thing about that, Matt. Um, But for me, I feel like, I'm just kind of void of a rich historical culture. You have a lot of culture there, Garrett, when you actually sit back and look at it, brother. Well, in a, you know, interesting story. So my family. You keep talking. You guys keep talking. I got to pause for nature. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
growing up, we were known, uh, you know, our family was, we were known as black Norwegians and nobody knew what that meant. We just knew that we were the, the people from Norway that had darker hair, um, almost jet black hair, um, dark eyes and an olive complexion. I almost never burn in the summer. Um, I get really dark. In fact, when I was younger, people used to think I was Mexican um, because of how dark I would get. Um, never knew what that term meant until I went to college and did a um, history class and found out that the Moors ended in southern Norway. And that's where they ended their campaign. And that is where the black Norwegians came from. Um, unfortunately, when I tried to tell this to my family, they were, uh, they were pretty adverse to that history, even though that was, that was the truth. That was how we became known as, as black Norwegians. Um, and I could probably dig into that a little bit more about, you know, Southern Norway and, and uh, the black Norwegian culture and all that. I just haven't done it because it was never anything that was important to my family. It was never anything important to me. And I've known friends who are Irish or whatever, and they have these crests and they, they have all of that. But as far as our American history is concerned, I don't feel there's a real deep culture there. You know what? I think, and here's the sad part. I think that's by design. That's what keeps us apart. You know, when we talk about black culture, even, you know, and, you know, you say it's a rich culture, but it's kind of selling it short as you're selling short white culture. You came from a place. I myself, when I drew back my roots, Mm -hmm. 70% um, African, most of it um, Nigerian. Um, Africa is not a state. It's a continent Mm -hmm. full of rich cultures, different traditions and different regions um, you know, you can't just comprise it as black. What about the, um, you know, blacks in the Caribbean or, you know, Af- Afro-Caribbean? Um, you know, there were blacks in Mexico because of the slave trade. Right. There were blacks in South America. You know, it's like the culture is rich. This whole idea of black and white kind of screws all of us up because a greater power greater than ourselves and I'm talking about the very, very rich. I'm not talking Bill Gates rich. I'm talking Bilderberg rich. I'm sure that they figured out that we can hold all this wealth as long as we have everyone else fighting over this little fiddly stuff. We fighting over crumbs. They've got everything controlling us and sending us off to war and controlling the money, the Federal Reserve, which is about government, governmentally involved as Federal Express. It's a private bank. You know, and we don't sit there and ask those questions because we're busy feuding over black and white. Because, you know, one of the, I was a history major, and one of the interesting things was the Bacon Rebellion, where poor whites, who were indentured servants at the time, conspired with the Indians to overthrow the landowners. (laughs) And after that war, they kind of freaked out because they're like, all right, now the poor whites are getting all riled up. We got to figure a way to keep them on our team. So here's what we're going to do. You guys are better than these people. You know, you might be poor and white, but, you know, at least you're not, you know, 
an Indian or a Negro or, you know, a lot less nicer word, um, you know, and pit us up against each other where we can't unify and, you know, bring some real change because we're busy, you know, squabbling like two kids over a small toy when they're running the toy store. Yep. And I mean, Aaron makes a good point. I haven't dug deep enough, which mm-hmm. is true, but there was nothing a part of my upbringing that taught me anything about culture. It's not too late, man. Oh, it's that, not. No, not at all. But see, that was part of what I was talking about earlier, you know, is that, you know, trying to really get that understanding. We got to dig a little bit deeper, got to do a little bit more research, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, just like Scott was saying, you know, I mean, I did the background on on my my heritage and my name. You know, my name actually goes back to being Scottish. I guess that's why I like Scotch. I don't know. (laughs) 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 But no, I mean, that's what it goes back to. I mean, we got to do a little bit more research. We got to figure out what's exactly going on. You know, we got to basically dig until we can't dig anymore, until we run into that that stumbling block, you know. And then once we get to that point, maybe that is enough. Who knows? But like I said, you you just, you got plenty of time, brother. You got plenty Mm -hmm. of time. Mm -hmm. There's plenty that you can dig into and find out what's going on with you. Um, You know, I mean, it's, it's something I still do, man, every day. You know, I mean, I still try to find out what's going on with my own heritage and how much farther back can I go. And, you know, I mean, there's a, there's an extensive culture that goes into each and every one of us. No doubt. Yeah. Do you have much of a culture? Do you, I mean, well, I, it's, for me, it's a little different just because my mom was adopted and doesn't know anything. Uh, and, and she she passed away a few years ago and she never knew her biological parents. So I don't know my biological lineage on my mom's side. And I know my dad's side is English and Scottish. So uh, that's... Uh, that's why I like scotch and haggis. Cheers, <laughs> brother. No, I've never tried haggis, and I don't think I don't think I could ever. I don't think I could. If I ever actually go to Scotland, I'll try it just to say I did. But first thing I'm doing, I'm hitting up the Lafroy Distillery. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yes. First thing I'm doing. So I want to I want to shift gears. This is something we also do on every show, and and uh, these these questions are actually uh, lighter, more fun questions. Um, so, uh, Scott, I'm going to start with you. We're going to ask each of you guys this. So, if you could hear the thoughts of one living person for ten minutes, who would it be, and why? Wow, that's a good one. <laughs> I need to give this some thought because, wow, who would I, hmm. Leo, do you know? Well, yeah, Scott, I, think think yeah, I didn't think on this thing because there's, I honestly would like to hear the mind of Condoleezza Rice. Hmm. Okay. Reason being is because she's a black woman. She worked the office. And she took a lot of heat, a lot of something what we were talking about, you know, that, you know, well, you sound like this, so you must be acting white or you're acting black or you're Republican. And, you know, I'd like to see I'd like to hear what her thoughts are for that 10 minutes to understand exactly where she was, what what her mindset was. Yeah, I like it. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm still stuck, man, because I can't think of who I'd want, you know, to get into their head and really think about who it would, you know, honestly, and, you know, it might be a little divisive. I want to know what Donald Trump is thinking. <laughs> number one answer. That's that's the number one answer that as every. I want to know, you know, what his thought process is, you know, because when I look at past presidents, you know, and he's a different one. Um, I just want to know what's in his head, you know. Yep. I you know, with you know Bush, you know, say what you want about um, W, but you know, seeing his mind, you could see that he was actually a decent man. He tried. Mm-hmm. I listened to his debates and some of his answers to things, and I'm just like, you know, some people peg him off as stupid, but some of that stuff was heartfelt. He was talking about, but you know, Trump. I just want to know what's in your head, man. I mean, just help me out here. <laughs> no, and I'm not bashing Trump. I'm saying right. this. Is- Serious, you know, yeah. serious point of intelligence to just see, you know, what do you think, you know, what is your thought process in this, man? Yeah. Because you know? while I agree with some of the things he's done, there's some things I vehemently disagree with, you yeah. know, namely how he's handled this and COVID, but okay. But I just want to know what his thought process is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree with that. And, and that's been the most popular answer. And I think for me, one of the one of the reasons why is I think every politician has a real side and a fake side. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know which side of Donald Trump is real or fake. I think for all the past, you know, presidents going back as long as I can remember, you know, going back to Gerald Ford, Richard Nixon, you I I think with each of those at the end of the day, you knew which side was real and which side was fake. Mm-hmm. With Trump, I don't have a clue which side is real and which side is fake. So well, that's why I would want to know. I don't even have a clue who he really is. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I want to know what he's thinking, see? I just, yeah. just I want to know. And like I said, this ain't a bash or anything like saying, you know, he's an idiot and all this crap. Right. I just want to know. It's like, help me. I want to see what your thought, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know? Is you know in the, you know the story of the big giant fearsome monster, and when they you know look deep inside, it's a crying little boy. You know, not saying that's him, but you know, getting into someone's mind and into their heart is real enlightening. Yep. You know, and I just want to address something real quick um, that came up on the chat. You know, someone mentioned, and she's a dear friend of mine. Um, she uh, mentioned, why can't you know we all say we're American? You know, we absolutely can't. I'm an American, mm-hmm. and you know, I am here. I mean, I got a tattoo on my arm. You know, I am an American, but I'm a child of Africa too, and I'm proud of that. But that doesn't diminish me being an American. You know, I was born here. My people helped build this country, so I'm a part of this, and I'm not going any place. But mm-hmm. it's you know, I want to look back and look at my heritage. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like just because I'm speaking of, you know, my culture, you know, uh, where I came from, you know, and looking back for me, it's like, that's interesting, you know? Yeah. And I, I just want to look back at like, you know, when you said, you know, as a white person, and again, you know, you're not just a white person. You came from someplace, from a rich history, rich culture, and your forefathers came here. You know, it's always good to look back to see mm-hmm. how things went down. You know, I'm a lover of history, so I want to look back and see how all this works. 
Yeah. You know, next time we talk, that's my homework. Next time we talk, I'll have, I'll have some for you. Well, and that's, that's Scott. That's a really great point because one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is, is, is the whole, you know, American versus, you know, yes, we're all Americans. And, and I, I, I am very grateful for the fact that I'm American, that I was born in this country, that my parents were born in this country. But what I started to do was I started to think back, you know, through my, my family's lineage, you know, some that I know and some that I don't know. And I go back all those stages back into the first, the first time that somebody in, in my bloodline stepped foot onto North American soil. Mm-hmm. And there's an extremely high likelihood that those people stepped onto this soil willingly. Mm. But for black Americans, it's the, there's an extremely high likelihood that you take that line, you tra- you trace your lineage all the way back. Mm-hmm. There's an extremely high likelihood that the first people in that bloodline that stepped foot on U.S. soil did so in chains unwillingly. And that's a big difference that I think we just, whatever that means to somebody, I think it's still something that we need to be aware of and keep in our minds. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with that, I will say this, I love my country. Can we do better? Yeah. But I love my country. You know, I love being here and we have progressed a bit slowly, but we over time we've done you know a little better increment by increment, increment by increment. But we can we still have a long way to go. Yeah, and it's okay to admit that. You know, I'm not sitting here burning a flag saying I hate America. One of the most profound things I heard once was in a movie. It was a war movie, as a matter of fact. And this black soldier was putting up an American flag by his tent, and the white guy passed by and said, "Hey." I didn't know you were a flag waver, Johnson. And, and the black man looked at him and said, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like about my country. But the few things I do like, I like a lot. Mm. What was that? I don't remember the movie, man. I just remember that quote. I thought it was the most beautiful quote I ever heard. That is, yeah, I love it. I like that. Mm. Um, all right, so the next uh, kind of off-the-wall question and Leo, you're going to go, well, you went first the last time, but yeah, I, <laughs> all right. So if you were about to get into a fight, what soundtrack music would come on? The thing from Shaft. Okay. I'm going to say, and you might have to pull it up, but the theme, the black belt Jones. Oh, Jim oh. Kelly. Jim Kelly. Yeah. When Jimmy came and that cat was standing by the police car and Jim Kelly came over the roof and flew up in the air, I was like, oh, that's my jam. (laughs) Now, Leo, uh, 70s or Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, I'm wait, as far as Shaft? Shaft. Original Shaft or Samuel L. Jackson Shaft? I got to go Richard Roundtree, man. Oh, there you go. Got to be original, baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So choose one of the following 
You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman. You could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie, or you could score a goal in a soccer game as the goalie. Oh, defensive touchdown, baby. I'm all about the NFL. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I like doing things I'm not supposed, I'm not expected to do. So that's up my alley right there. See, I'm a baseball guy, so I got to go with the pitcher hitting a home run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things where, you know, you go all the way, you run around the bases, you come back to the plate, and everybody's hitting you on top of the head. And, you know, it's just a great game after that. Yeah. All right. So if, if you guys could give one piece of advice to a brand new premium cigar consumer, what would it be? I work in, I'll say, no, I work in a lounge. So I'll let you go, Scott. I was going to say, when you're starting out, don't be faithful to just one brand. Mm-hmm. When I started out, and it, it's a whole, as I said, it's a whole world. You know, try different things because you're going to find that, you know, that first cigar, oh, yeah, okay, and it, it, you start getting the bug, and then it's like, nah, don't just go to that brand. Don't go to that, that same size. Try something else. Ask for suggestions. You know, really challenge your palate because you don't know what your palate is. Yeah. So you have to find that, and yeah. that's the fun. And it changes. Yeah, yeah. Your palate's going to change over time too, yeah. Absolutely. One of the things I always tell people – well, most of the time, whenever they approach me in a lounge and they're new smokers, they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's the best thing. I love to hear that. To I love to hear that because now I get to expose you into this actual world, you know, into this community. So the one thing I would tell people is that if you don't know, say, I don't know. That's the best thing so that the right person can guide you, whether it's somebody who works in a store or somebody who's a seasoned smoker like all of us here. Right. Mm-hmm. And then. What I'd like to do is say, hey, let's start you off with something mild and see if you even like this thing. That's the way I'd actually go about it. Okay. It's like the way because they get to play with their palate. Yes. Mm-hmm. So something else that we do on the show, we, we talk about, uh, uh, we call them notable smokables. It's one or two cigars that we've smoked over the last week or so that really – caught our interest it could be something brand new that we never smoked before or it could be a something that's been on this on the cigar store shelves for years that we you know tried again for the first time in you know five six seven years um so the first one for me this week and we want you guys to get in on this too uh i had never smoked i smoke fortunately i've smoked a lot of padrones but i had never tried that one in the tube the 1926 number 90. And I finally picked one up at Ramsey smoke shop. Shout out to Omar. And, uh, I picked up the, the, the number 90 Maduro in that tube. And, and I smoked it a few nights ago while I was on a V herf with, uh, some, some guys from, uh, uh, developing pallets and some other cigar companies. And that cigar was ridiculous. I mean, it was so, so, so good. So that's my uh, that's my first one of the week. Notable smokable. Um, Scott, what's something uh, that really, really uh, caught your attention this last week? This last week, you or, know, re- or recently, anything recent? The Superfly by Oscar Valadero. Oh yes, oh. I got my hands on two boxes. 
Love that cigar. So good. I had to be careful because I started smoking through them and it's like I'm down to like one box and I think there's three in there. I'm like, got to save these because once they're gone, they're gone. So, you know, I, um, it's just a wonderful smoke. But, you know, everything Oscar does, he can't go wrong, man. The leaf is mm-hmm. a beautiful smoke. But yeah. I got to say the Superfly is definitely one of my top-notch go-tos. Yeah. Yep. Love it. What about you, Leo? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stuck, man. I mean, because, like I said, I mean, I work in a lounge all the time, so I'm smoking everything. But I can say I went back to something that I haven't had in a long time, which is the LFD Lavacata. Hmm. Such a great smoke. Nice. Almost that almost that full body. Of course, Lito, you know, he concentrates on that. But, you know, it's a good medium plus. Uh, you know, the story behind the Lavacata is, is absolutely phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I love the I, I love that lavacata. It was it, it gives that nice, rich espresso, uh, dark chocolate kind of flavor. Yeah, and it just stays with you, and it stays with you all the way to the end. It really doesn't change. It doesn't get like that nasty burn feel at, towards the end. So I really, really, it's been about God, I'd say about a year since I smoked one. Yeah, good cigar. Yeah, and I had the uh, La Polina Pasha. Oh yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. First one, uh, first one I've had, and um, creamy and delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are good if you can get your hands on them. They're not easy to find, but if you can get your hands on those in the in the wood coffins, those things yep. are yeah. right insane. Yep. Um, so I want to I want to give our viewers uh, and and listeners for those of you guys listening on the audio podcast after the fact I want to give you guys an idea of some stuff we've got coming up. So uh, next week because of our rescheduling next week we're finally <laughs> after we've had to reschedule a couple times and I appreciate his patience with us uh, we're going to have Tim Swanson from American Viking Cigars on the show next Tuesday night on the ninth and then on the twenty third of this month uh this is another guy who i got to know uh years ago and and we spent some time hanging out in nicaragua together uh he's the ceo and founder of uh global premium cigars and 1502 cigars uh enrique sanchez he's going to be on the show on the 23rd uh so keep watching keep listening we appreciate that so um leo and scott give everybody a, a another final idea where they can you know, get everything they need to know to follow your cigar media. If you guys want to reach out to me, I'm at Barrels and Leafs on every single social media platform you can think of. It's all the same across the board. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, YouTube, you got it. Um, you can also email at uh, barrelsandleafs at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to uh, hopefully see everybody who was on this chat um, be followers of Barrels and Leafs, believing in what Barrels and Leafs actually stands for, which is all your cigar pairing experience. And uh, you can also catch us uh, this weekend, this Saturday. We will be talking to California Cowboy and uh, their uh, bourbon distillery. And we will be having on uh, Bungani, the owner of Bungani uh, Cigars. Uh, it's a African cigar company. And uh, they're one of the only African cigar companies around. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, um, you can reach out to me at beyondthehumidor at gmail.com. You can check the podcast out. It's Beyond the Humidor, a cigar podcast for the rest of us. It's on Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, um, 
Stitcher, iHeart. Um, it's even on um, Amazon Alexa. So, you know, check our show out and let us know what you think about it. Nice. Nice. Uh, guys, I, I can't thank you enough. I, mm-hmm. I am so grateful that you guys spent some time, you know, talking to us tonight. And uh, our, our goal tonight was to um, just listen and let you guys talk about, uh, you know, your experiences and, you know, ways that we can uh, just just be, uh, you know, more more aware and and willing to be uh you know open to uh um you know just listening some more so i i'm grateful beyond belief i'm so so thankful for you guys spending time with us tonight thank you well i want to thank you guys um matt and garrett and leo i appreciate you i am proud if you don't mind to call you my brothers Mm -hmm. you know and you know i hope this isn't the end of our relationship that we talk, get together and collaborate and, you know, do what we do in the cigar world. And, you know, on a personal level, reach out to me. You know, I want to check and see how you guys are doing. You know, I'll you know, continue to listen to How About That Cigar. I love the podcast. It's wonderful. And I definitely want to check out Barrels and Leaves because I love the cigar um, and um, spirit pairings. I'm loving that. Yeah, that's a little bit of everything. I appreciate it, Garrett and uh, Matt. Uh, Matt um, you guys are great for doing this. Um, never saw anything like this definitely coming my way. Um, I really appreciate it. Like I said, Matt, as soon as you called me, it was a no-brainer. Absolutely, 100%, man. Uh, believe in what you guys are doing. I appreciate what you guys are doing. And uh, anytime I can help out, let me know, brother. I'm here. And I'm not ashamed to call you guys. My brothers. <laughs> That's right. They're all brothers. Yeah. Scott, we definitely will talk, man. Yes. Anything I can do at any time or any phase, all you got to do is reach out to me. Gotcha. All right. Listeners and viewers, thank you guys for participating in the yeah. conversation tonight. Keep watching. Keep listening. Uh, follow these guys and, and pay attention to what they're doing because, uh, you know, keeping this cigar culture as lively as we possibly can is important to all of us who love premium cigars and we've already talked about it but like we say at the end of every show burn cigars not bridges thanks guys cheers